0: Hello and welcome to another episode of History of Westeros podcast, a podcast dedicated to George R.R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire book series, as well as HBO's Game of Thrones. Today's episode is focused on the television show, but we will be relating and comparing the television show with the books. Um, and thus, this episode does have spoilers for all of the books, but not the Winds of Winter. If you're looking for discussion on the show only Without any spoilers from the book You're going to want to turn this off And listen to our show only discussion episodes
1: That's right One thing we're not going to spoil Is what's coming in future episodes of the show Other than things that we might happen to guess right Or predict or things that we glean from the trailers Public information only In other words Right We're not going to touch the leaked episodes at all Shay and I have not watched them And we're not going to So we are as unspoiled as anyone else as far as that goes. Also unspoiled is our returning guest, Yoke Boy from Radio Westeros, and his co-host, Lady Gwyn, also from Radio Westeros. Yoke Boy, why don't you introduce you guys yourselves?
2: Hey, um, yeah, some of you might remember me from last time and remember me from uh, Radio Westeros, and I'm really glad to be back to discuss The Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones. But this week joining me is my co-host, Lady Guinevere.
3: Yeah. Hi, guys. It's Lady Gwen here from Radio Westeros. I'm really excited to be here with History Westeros today to talk about the show and the book.
1: Right on. I'm sure a lot of Radio uh, Radio Westeros fans have tuned in and are seeing you guys for the first time. It must be uh, a new experience, and I'm yes. sure it's fun to just <laughs> kick back and talk about the show. It's a little easier to uh, to manage. We're having a, a nice talk here, and we've prepared a lot of notes, but it's a little bit easier to just sit back and talk about the show than it is. It is to produce uh, a two-hour, hour-and-a-half long podcast episode with heavy production and all the great things you guys do with your music and songs from the fandom and the readings and everything that you guys have
2: become known for. So, Yeah, the shackles are off. It feels good to be on History of Westeros, so thanks thanks for inviting us. Yes. Well, you're welcome. Yeah, uh, if you guys
0: yeah. haven't checked them out before, which probably most of you have, but uh, you can go to RadioWesteros.com and check out all of their podcasts over there. They're also, they also have their videos, their... Um, Podcast episodes hosted on YouTube as well. You can um, also check them out there. Some of you might prefer that.
1: That's right. So hmm. do that and get back to us and get back to them. Give, oh, yeah. give feedback and upvotes and all those good things. But uh, let's talk about season five, episode two. We what I I thought that it was a great episode with really amazing scenery and some really particularly strong dialogue Uh, notable because a lot of that dialogue isn't in the books and of course since we're in this new territory where the show is kind of having to find its own way uh, there's a little anxiety as to what might happen changes to the plot and some people are worried that the quality will drop off well so far so good as far as Mm -hmm. I can tell what do you guys think just first impressions of the show show why don't you go first.
0: Oh, I, I think it's hard to get any lower than the Craster's keep mutineering <laughs> stuff, personally. But uh, I guess we'll see where the hell... For me, I'm most concerned about the and stuff, as I've said before. I, I wasn't a huge fan of it. There were things I liked about it. But again, I, I just... I'm going to find it hard to get any lower than
4: the
3: Craster's. <laughs> uh, what, about, what about you, uh, Lady Gwynn? Um, well, so far, you know, there's just been a lot of setup. So I'm sort of reserving my judgment but I agree with Aziz that you know the scenery's been great there has been some great um, new dialogue and you know, I'm looking forward to seeing where they take this um, especially some of these sort of diversionary storylines.
2: Yeah and Yoko what about you what was your overall impression? Yeah it's it, yeah it's hard to judge I mean if you look back at the other seasons the first couple of episodes weren't always kind of blockbuster, but they really set up things later on. So, yeah, again, like Lindy Gwynn, I think I'm going to reserve judgment. But I think there are th- encouraging signs. Yeah, it's, a, it's 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 there's a lot to be positive about, maybe some things to be worried about, but
1: we're going to try to give honest criticism and be positive about the show for the most part. We'll call them out on the mistakes they make and the things they do wrong, but we're not just going to sit here and bash the show. We we For the most part... I'm not, I don't want to speak too much for everybody, but mm-hmm. we enjoy the show, and that's going to be reflected here. But, like mm-hmm. I said, we're going to call a spade a spade, and when they make a mistake or do something that we don't like, we're not going to hesitate to point that out either. Mm-hmm. I'm actually, and enjoy- one thing I'm particularly enjoying is the the experience of having the potential to be surprised again. I've, I've, it's been a while since mm-hmm. that has been a possibility. The only time that ever happens is when we get a new spoiler chapter, or you know, the World of Ice and Fire, something major like that. But until the Winds of Winter comes out, we're, we're not going to really see a lot of surprises, except in the show. And that's neat. Even though it's a different world, a different dimension, a different mm-hmm. canon, it's fun to be surprised. And I'm looking forward to some of those surprises this season. So, but let's get specific. We don't want to waste a lot of time here. There's a lot to discuss. Six locations today. Uh, that's up from two last week. There were four locations, including The Wall, Essos, The Vale, and King's Landing. All four of those locations uh, appear again in this episode, but we're adding two more to them. We, we're we adding two <laughs> more to them, yes. That was our idea. Yeah, And, of course, those two locations are Dorne, and where we'll start today, Bravos.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Arya in Bravos. Of course, this is one of the things I was talking about when I mentioned the beautiful scenery. The Titan is really amazing, and they did a good job of keeping it in the background, even when it wasn't the focus. I, I thought that was a nice touch. So we have this... this, this Guy that greets yeah. Arya at the yeah, door. Yeah, yeah, we don't
0: know. Uh, he doesn't have a he doesn't have a name. We don't know that he. I, I'm guessing he's just basically the, the kindly man. But yeah. you know, that's just what we can call him. But uh, I really liked him, and I kind of wish that they had they had kept him. I, I thought he was kind of funny that line he gives. Uh, you have everywhere else to be. You know? um, and <laughs> <That's good, yeah. laughs> But it makes a lot. It makes perfect sense to bring Jake in back. I'm not surprised that they did. Uh, it may it, yeah it makes sense to bring back a fan favorite character.
1: Definitely. There's one thing before the actual reveal that he's Jake we get a few interesting points about Arya reiterates her kill list. She sits up all night. Now, this is a good thing to point out the differences from her kill list from book to show a a little discussion point here. At the beginning, this is the fir- one of the first times, if not the first time, she has the list in the books. It reads a bit like this. Sir Gregor, she'd whispered to her stone pillow. Dunson, Poliver, Chiswick, Raph the Sweetling, the Tickler and the Hound, Sir Amory, Sir Illyn, Sir Maron, King Joffrey, Queen Cersei. Well, Cersei, Dunson, Sir Illyn, and Sir Marin are still alive in the books. There is no Dunson in the <laughs> books, or in the show. And now, her prayer in Season 2, Episode 5, House of Black and White, was reduced to only four names. It's Cersei and Mara Trant are both still in there, and the Mountain as well, although the Mountain is kind of dead. Yeah. So she might be crossing that name off one way or the other. But Walder Frey is on there, and that's interesting because Walder Frey isn't exactly on her list in the books, though she says that that's only because she doesn't know the names of these Freys and doesn't know which ones are responsible. She would, She does want revenge on the Freys, to be clear. But, interestingly, in the show, just as recent, recently as last season, there were quite a few more names on her list. And we're going to discuss a few of those omissions real quick. She had some obvious ones that aren't there anymore, like Joffrey and the Hound, because she knows Joffrey is dead, and we're not sure about the Hound on the show. The book, he's probably still alive, but in any case, Arya believes she's de- he's dead, so it makes sense to leave him off. But, there's, but she also had the Red Woman on her list, and Thoros of Myr, and Beric Dondarrion. So what do you guys think about these omissions? Do you think there's anything, what does it say about the future of the show and or where her arc is going? Uh, Yoke Boy, we'll start with you.
2: Uh, I'm not sure. It could just be continuity. I think we have seen continuity problems with the show, with things not quite matching up to kind of the precedents. So that that's my instinct. It's just some kind of con- continuity. Perhaps it means we won't be seeing Beric again. Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. without Lady Stoneheart,
1: Beric's arc is kind of left wow. dangling a bit, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I liked Sean's thought. Sean thought that it was just a, it was just a choice to keep it tight and to allow us to focus on those characters, rather yeah. like a, like a considered choice rather than an error. I'm not sure
3: what it is.
1: What do you think, Lady Gwynn?
3: Yeah, I think that. I could go for that. Um, I think um, you know if if Thoros and Barrack aren't going to be on this season, I could see uh, making a case for they they left them off purposefully, um, just to keep the list focused on people who are in the show and maybe the action that's going to happen this season. Especially if Maran Trant is uh, going to go to Bravos. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, Lady Gwen, you noticed something—a comparison to a very early stages of Arya's arc.
3: Yeah, in the scene, uh, you know, right before she finally gains entrance into um, the House of Black and White, she's in the streets of Bravos and she kills a pigeon with needle, cuts its head off. It's kind of a cool <laughs> scene. She but, really showed but, um, that pigeon. It's almost, it's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's very, very similar to the scene from season one where she killed a pigeon in the streets of King's Landing. Um, I believe that pigeon, she just caught it and. I think
2: yeah, I think in the book she either catches or oh, she clubs it maybe with her. She wooden does, story. So,
3: yeah. Um, not
2: with. So, so perhaps they what they were getting up there is uh, at that stage before uh, before Jackin comes back, she's back to square one. She's lost, Rome in the streets. She's right back at square one. And I,
1: I, one thing I tried to make sense of in this scene is I thought it felt a little bit like a they were wasting a little bit of time, and I don't mean that to be too harsh. But it's just that the show is trying to cover so much, and the books, there's so much they have to leave out, so anytime they spend a little too much time on something, it's real easy to jump and say, hey, they spent too much time on that. And it, it made me think about, specifically about later in the episode where they just blew through the whole John Stark plot plotline in, in about two minutes and I thought maybe that would have been a good thing to give a little more time to but that's that's just nitpicking I was interested as well in why they took that time and and when we had our show only review I I called it that's pretty much what I said I think it was I, I called it a bit of a waste of time but I've thought about it a little more a little more and I wonder if maybe there isn't a little something to a comparison to a to a feast for crows that maybe got lost in the shuffle. Aria is first accused by the kindly man of being here, of, of trying to join them simply to go get revenge. Mm. And that is sort of reflected in the show. She sits up all night staring at the coin, staring at the coin, thinking about revenge. And then finally she throws the coin in the water. Is this maybe symbolic of her... I don't think she's given up on revenge, but it might <laughs> mean that she's accepted that there's more to it than this. It, it might be that, symbolically. And J- Jaken slash... We'll, we're going to call him Jaken because we don't know what else to call him. Maybe he's following her and watching her and sees that she's accepted this or sees that she's capable on her own. She's, she sees that she's not afraid and maybe that showed him that she was worthy. Eh, I'm just trying to come up with something. <laughs> anybody else have anything to add to that?
3: No, I'll go for that because this is... Same, I had the same sort of... Usually you can figure out why they've made a change or deviated or created something new. Just, but this one... I was very
2: puzzled.
1: So Yeah. Well, Yoke, well, you had some ideas as well on just this actor in general and some thoughts on him.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think he, you pronounce his name, Tom Vlachia. And he, who didn't love him in season two? He was brilliant. <laughs> he was He's one of the best actors in a minor role. I think he really captured Jack and Hagar had this kind of magical quality. So it it really makes sense. I think uh, Ash did did skim on this earlier, it really makes sense to bring him back and have him in this cunning man role. And I'm actually really looking forward to seeing uh, Jacken train Arya. And like you say, it's a difference from the books that could actually be quite exciting in its difference. Yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. So a a recurring theme that we brought up last
1: week is the process of elimination and how we can sometimes figure things out Either a mystery, or who a certain character is, or or who's which character is responsible for something, simply by narrowing it down and really thinking down, narrowing down who the candidates are. In the books, this can sometimes work, but sometimes it's too difficult because even when you narrow it down, there's too many possibilities. In the show. Even though this is the largest cast in the history of television, this is still, this narrowing down process still sometimes results in very few choices. We showed that example last week with Tormund Giants being, being basically the only wildling leader that is out there, or wildling oh, at all.
0: Rattle shirt. <laughs> right, it's and around. he's, uh, that's true, yeah, he's, he's technically rattled, out
1: there, but, but he's hardly been on screen at all. Yeah. <laughs> and there, are, so we're, we're, one thing we're working through this season is trying to come up with ways to make sense of that and... and a lot of these things people understand, a lot of you guys understand this sort of subconsciously or intuitively, but it's not like there's a lot of terms and and phrases that we've coined to try to narrow this stuff down and make more sense of it. Lady Gwyn here has come up with at least a start on making sense of some of these concepts, and you, you've done a good job of bundling this together. Why don't you go ahead and explain it?
3: Okay, so um, I call this concept the law of conservation of actors, um, <laughs> which is the idea that you shall not hire new actors to play roles when you have existing actors that can absorb the same roles, so there's a couple of examples starting right in bravos um rather than um Yorko Terrace delivering Aria to the house of black and White, who is the son of the captain of the boat um that she arrived on. the captain himself just delivers her right there so. Now they haven't had to introduce another minor character. Um, and of course, Jacken as the kindly man um, could fit into that same theme. So there's going to be a lot more of that to come going forward in this oh, episode yes. and probably going forward in the season.
1: Very true. And it does, of course, also have a bit of a domino effect on the, the rest of the plot. Ashea, why don't you give us a few examples there?
0: Of oh, the domino effect.
1: The domino effect. Yes, the domino's falling. Huh. There's some things that aren't in the plot anymore because of the removal, or oh. moving of Jacob. Oh, to yes, the, I, I see from, what you mean. From where yeah, he like was. for
0: instance, it seems like because Jacob's here in Bravos, he's <clears throat> not going to be at the Citadel in Old Town exactly. later on. It's he's not going to kill Balon Greyjoy, or our faces Man isn't going to do it. But um, I will say, I don't think it. I still think it's possible for him to to leave the house of black and white at the end of the season. Yeah. You you know, like for him to train and then for them to split or for even Arya to leave the house in black and white. We don't know where they're going. They're going to have to start making huger divergences. So it's possible Arya and can leave together.
1: So maybe you'd (laughs) say it reduces the likelihood of some of these things, but it doesn't eliminate them entirely. The show could just put things in a different order. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, So let's see then as well. We have... Aria, well, another quick parallel I want to draw attention to is remember, it's a very famous scene. Aria's, when she is first confronted by the kindly man, he somehow presents his face as this yellowed skull with a worm crawling out of it. And Aria is, of course, <laughs> not at all fazed by this somehow. <laughs> she doesn't touch, she's just like, hmm, tasty worm, let me eat that. <laughs> and the kindly man says, no one's ever tried to eat my worm before. So it was something. That he had never experienced before, and that showed him that she was maybe worthy of being a, a member, or at least worthy of consideration for training. And I thought maybe the way she faced down those urchins in in the alley, showing no fear and holding her ground, maybe that was... A a rough attempt to show the same thing, but maybe I don't know. Maybe Maybe they'll still
0: show some stuff like that. Some tests in that sense that
1: could still happen. So we definitely shouldn't judge too much on that without seeing what else they have in mind. But I do, I do, I did like it, despite a couple of complaints. I'm I'm really happy with with um, where it's going, and of course, once again, you just can't really beat Macy Williams. His, her acting is great. I love just the way she was, when she knocked on the door, just her facial expressions. She's like, hmm, what's going to happen here? <laughs> it, was, it was almost comedic. I really liked it. So looking forward to seeing <laughs> what they do with that. Yeah, she's a
0: funny actress. I'd love to see her in a comedy movie. Yeah, by Williams. I mean,
1: she's what 18? Yeah, uh, she's got
0: all sorts, of, all sorts of time to star in comedy movies. We've um, got a lot to look I actually to there. saw. She said she wanted to do that herself. She she really would like to. In an interview, she said that. That's that. great. That's,
1: we could all look forward to that. Seeing yeah. her in some comedies down the road—that'd be amazing. <laughs> we'll, we'll, yeah. This, we'll just have to. Uh, we'll, we'll if we hear anything about that, we'll let you guys know. <laughs> Any other thoughts on Aria and Bravos before we move on to the next location? That's a no. Okay. All right, so. Let us head to the Vale, where we have Brienne and Sansa and Littlefinger and Podrick and some others. Mostly random Vale knights who get killed. Uh Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So we have a a very much, this is an encounter at the inn. This is, it it may seem like a really major coincidence that all these characters would happen to meet at the same time. Mm -hmm. And some might say that the, the show went a little far with having that kind of coincidence. Well, I would say that is not fair because George R. R. Martin has actually used that device many times. There are a lot of random meetings at inns. Just for example, Tyrion, the big one, Tyrion running into Catelyn. That kind of started it all in a, in a way, or at least was one of the major starting events. Sandor and Arya running into Polliver and Rath the Sweetling at the inn and having that fight. Tyrion runs into Jorah. Technically, that's a brothel, huh. but it's similar enough. Tyrion and Jorah run into Penny at another huh. inn. Brienne runs into Rorge and Biter at, and the Brotherhood Without Banners at another inn. Huh. And Tyrion again. Uh, well, no, I've already said Tyrion's examples, but three of those examples had Tyrion. Yeah. So one one lesson is that Tyrion should stay away from
0: inns. <laughs> <laughs> that's tough. Uh, I, I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, I guess they are just at an inn. I would have liked it if they were at the end of the crossroads, so we could have seen Hot Pie again. Yeah, another another. <laughs> that would have
1: been inn. neat. I, mean, I guess this is an inn. In the it's Bay a different. Somewhere. It's a little yeah.
0: different area. It would have been good is. to maybe go down.
1: But I'm glad yeah. you mentioned the crossroads inn because there's several that. What I, all those examples? I didn't list which inns those were. At least mm-hmm. two of those were the same three, spot. Uh, so three of them. These, these locations are are important. Three mm, of them. That okay, inn good. the
3: crossroads, and they could still get there um, because. That's true. Yeah. Sansa and Littlefinger haven't made it out of the veil yet. So.
1: Yeah, and we don't exactly know where they're going. Well,
3: maybe Hot Pie will go to winter hell.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Good old Hot Pie. I do hope he reappears on the show. So, but, uh, Ashea, you had some oh, thoughts yeah. on on Brienne in the beginning oh, yeah. of the scene.
0: Uh, well... For one, they're really putting Brand through the ringer here. <laughs> Lots of so many things to make her feel so guilty and so terrible and so rejected. And but she's she's, she's a strong character. She's still keeping with her quest. Um, there was a real um, interesting quote from Gwendolyn Christie um, about this scene. Actually, um, we had talked about it before. Um, well, I wasn't in the previous episode, but Aziz and Sean talked about, it and um, I talked about it with them. Uh, about how about what Sansa was thinking you know what was she trying to communicate to Brienne and Sean had uh, he uh, from the beginning thought that Sansa was telling her to get get out get away save yourself you have a choice to get out of here and that was confirmed by Gwendolyn Christie Um, she says Christie says she says Brienne kneels before Sansa in an exact mimic of the oath she made to Catelyn Stark and Sansa says no But in the script, it says there's the tiniest look in Sansa's eyes. The script says the look is telling Brienne, get the fuck out of Dodge.
4: Just get out. (laughs) Uh,
0: So Sansa's rejection of Brienne, unlike Arya's dismissal of her last season, was probably at least partly out of concern for Brienne's safety. We can be romantic about it and say that in that moment maybe there's a connection, some part of Cat, some part of Catelyn that's within Sansa that's trying to help me to urge me on. And that's straight from Gwendolyn Christie. And so apparently they even had it in the in the script that Sansa is trying to warn her, which is nice. So it shows that Brienne might have a shot to get Sansa out still.
1: So, so Lady Gwen, you also had some thoughts on the two questions that Sansa was putting to Littlefinger. She was You know, she's. this is sort of a thing she started in her growth arc is is she's asking him pointed questions. And there's two particular ones here that deserve attention. Mm
3: -hmm. Right. She um, asks him... First, she brings up the scroll, which probably a lot of viewers were wondering about. Because in episode one, he got this scroll and he tucked it into his sleeve and no more was said. So, you know, she says, what... um, You got a scroll. What was in the scroll? And he simply answers... Um, my marriage proposal has been accepted.
1: <laughs>
3: no more explanation, which gave me a really creepy feeling.
1: I I I thought the same thing, and I also wondered why Sansa. You'd think that Sansa's first question would be, "Oh, who's the lucky lady?" or something along those lines. But instead, she says something. She says, "Oh, so soon after Lady Lysa," and then before mm-hmm. I can go any farther, the camera cuts over to Brienne and Podrick. So I wanted to think that I would think that she would be asking a question like that, but. I guess they, right. uh, they 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 didn't want it to go there just yet. No. But then the second question she asked Lady Gwen about the ale that's kind the of interesting ale, too
3: does it give you courage <laughs> um, Well she you know he says it gives some men courage and she says does it give you courage and he just gives her this look yeah,
1: yeah <laughs> um, what do you think what do you guys think she was doing there? Was she kind of trying to call him out a little bit? was she saying she, you're not courageous or is she was it just uh, one of those? kind of pointed questions trying to get a reaction kind of thing
3: I think she might have been needling him or trying to get a sort of reaction you know just to um, maybe questioning him in some way but you know definitely <laughs> um, looking for a reaction of some kind
1: it's it's interesting mm-hmm. too because this is scene had a lot of subtle undertones like that we have a lot of things revealed in the eyes and in the facial expressions and in the you know in the, in the reading between the lines but and most of it is a little dark and and intriguing but and we we get some comic relief in there as well with padrick
2: who has these really great facial expressions yeah yeah he does uh did anyone else see him making eyes at the serving girl (laughs) yeah yeah. checking her out (laughs) and he's actually surprisingly astute too he recognized little finger right away and Sansa's hair dye doesn't fall in for a second. I think is going to lose the uh, competition for com- most convincing disguise. And I, <laughs> I, I, I just wanted to point out the kind of, perhaps um, some parallels creeping in between Arya and Sansa's arc, like you said, the these uh, encounters with Brienne. But, you know, they're both entering a, a new phase of disguise with Sansa wearing the disguise now and Arya, um, perhaps wanting to become a faceless man, so it's worth keeping an eye on how those two sisters um, progress together to see if George kind of writes the two sisters in tandem.
0: Yeah, you know it's interesting. Brienne is kind of was kind of begrudgingly having Podrick with her, but I feel like she should recognize Podrick has seen Sansa Stark. Podrick is a great person to have to have with Brienne. He's seen. Uh, he, I, I, he hadn't seen Arya. He recognized the hound, but he had seen Sansa.
1: That's true, and that's really. And he not he recognized her easily. Now, now spot. Brienne
0: has seen her. Brienne doesn't need Podrick anymore.
1: <laughs> but <laughs> but that actually raises you, uh, Yoko. You raised the the idea of comparing Sansa to Arya. But there is right. another interesting parallel here, and that is comparing Brienne and Podrick to Dunkin' Egg, where we have. This nice correlation between someone who isn't very experienced at court, who's in charge, who's you know knows the ways of the world a bit, who knows how to fight, knows how to handle herself, but isn't so strong on politics and in court, whereas Podrick is. That's very similar to what's up with Duncan with, with Duncan Egg. Duncan is a hedge knight. He has no idea about court and princes and kings. He takes on a squire that has all that knowledge, and that makes them a great team. So I think that is a a bit present with Brienne and Podrick as well. They make a great team, and I guess hopefully Brienne is starting to realize that now. She sees that sees his worth, even though he maybe isn't. This version of him isn't so great at handling himself in a fight, even though we saw that in the book. The Podrick Mm. in the books is a bit better at at handling himself.
2: So, So it's a step up from last week, where she was. A uh, 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 wits end with Podrick yeah. kind of trailing after her. Yeah. It's a kind of step up in their relationship now. She must really see the value.
1: Yeah, and so then we see Brienne. You know, she's kind of forced to give her answer to what happened to Renly, and it's you know she knows that it's a hard story for anyone to believe. Yeah. Yes. Although Sansa doesn't have a look of disbelief, she's kind of look has this look of concern and interest, like and a little bit of curiosity. Whereas Littlefinger seizes on the opportunity to point out how ridiculous the story is and to to say, even hey, look, even if there was a shadow, bottom line, you failed. And then he uses that creepy just I'm her uncle and you're an outsider thing and ooh, so, yeah, you're yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's just yeah. I saw her I saw her facial reactions when Brian was talking about the shadow. It's just she had that face kind of the whole time. Brian was talking. That was the mask she had put up. She was a little concerned, a little curious, mostly stone faced, you okay. know. Um, and that it wasn't directly in response to the shadow thing. Mm. Although um, you'd think that if she was disbelieving, it maybe would have broken her mask a little bit.
1: That's true. mean um, that true.
0: didn't come through. It did. She didn't. She didn't look disbelieving.
1: So. Of course, this arc is really hard to predict and guess at because it is very divergent from the books. Of course, Brienne doesn't go to the Vale, at least not yet. She could go to the Vale later. It's possible. But that makes it interesting. It makes it really hard to guess at. And it seems like Sansa is is heading north. Uh, it's, it seems likely enough by process of elimination, people that if she's the one getting married... We've seen the trailer. It shows. It seems to show her in Winterfell, and we've seen Brienne in the snow in the trailers too. So it does seem like she's heading that way, and that makes me worried for her. First of all, we have this action scene that provides another parallel that you noticed, Lady Gwen. Why don't you talk us through that?
3: Yeah. So um, in the books, um, Brienne has um, this great. Uh, Time when she, she goes to the Whispers with Nimble Dick Crab. She's looking for who she thinks is um Sansa and Arya. She comes across three of the bloody mummers, Shagwell, Pig, and timian and kills them. They're her first kills. Um so she kills three men. Um and in the course of that fight, um Pod is standing on a wall and he throws a rock and says, I told you I could fight. <laughs> so he helps her out by clubbing somebody on the hand with a rock. In this action scene, um, Pod throws a rock at a guy, um, and Brienne kills three men.
2: Triple so kill. It might
3: be, you know, if they <laughs> had to her triple kill, um, which was impressed even Randall Tarley in the books, although he tended to credit her sword. Yeah, <laughs> her sword is quick. It was her sword. It wasn't. It was that you know Valyrian steel sword. It wasn't her.
1: So I think what we're seeing here is uh, an interesting thing that the show is able to do. They're able to either homage or directly Mm -hmm. correlate things that happen in the book but in a much in a different time and place and in a different mm-hmm. sort of set of circumstances so I, I i appreciate that i like that even when they know they can't put something in the books in the show they still find a way to get it in there sort of uh, just as an homage and i, I do appreciate that yeah. i'm glad they put that in there even though i sometimes don't notice them some of them are really subtle like this one i didn't catch the, the three men and the rock toss and as soon as you pointed it out to us when we were preparing this episode i was like oh yeah mm-hmm. that is great that is great so Yokboy you had some thoughts on what i expressed a moment ago about should we be worried about
2: Brienne what is her future yeah. hold last last week we had concerns for who was it mm-hmm. Varys and Sa- samwell we we were a bit we we did wonder and this week i think we're going to be worried for brienne and bron and we could talk about bron later but brienne just Seems to be going in circles, and does that make her? In the books, she might go in circles—it's fruitless wondering. But George has a different plan for her. Is she now disposable in the TV show? What do you think, guys? I'm really worried she is. Yeah. I think that there's
1: some some hints. There's some interviews out there. You and Rian, for example, expressed that he was really horrified at something that his character does. And this is past the point of the leaks, as far as I can tell. Or I think we would have maybe heard people talking about it already. Even as much as we tried to avoid spoilers, you can't yeah. avoid everything being as deep in the fandom as we are. And, yeah, so I, I'm worried that something along the lines of maybe what happens to the washerwomen, that Ramsey captures them, maybe she's the one that, ha- mm-hmm. Brienne has this happen to her, or something awful happens to Sansa. I feel like Sansa is more likely to continue alive and kicking in in the series she seems to have more to do I don't mean
0: that something awful can't happen to her even if she continues alive and kicking, Ramsey can still torture her. It's I hope, true. I sure hope they're not doing that, but it's perfectly possible. It's almost
1: like we'd rather see. It's like we're rooting for Sansa to get tortured because that means Brienne won't die. It's
4: ugh. <laughs> <laughs> or or Brienne's gonna die and Sansa right. won't get
1: tortured, or both. I don't know. It's for, it's scary. Sansa will get tortured. We and draw, we will draw die. the neither of those <laughs> yeah. things. And this is what I mean about being surprised yeah. about how we're. I'm on the edge of my seat, even though this isn't book canon. It's still its own world. I still like it and it's got me anxious for some of my favorite characters and I, I, I like that feeling of excitement even though it's also a little scary so i think that's it for the uh, veil we,
0: we had one thing um in okay. the previous episode we had a we had a slight misconception all three of us matt uh, and Boy, uh, aziz and i we all thought that brand was sharpening her sword Apparently she was just, right. she was just like oiling it or, or she just had a cloth with it, cleaning it. and uh, Oh, okay. See, she, yeah, a bunch of people commented on that. I don't know how we all, all through it thought she looked was looked like I, a
1: rock. I guess maybe I, I led us in the wrong direction on that or I don't know. I, I don't
0: sure. know. I took your word. I did
1: like the I blame, yeah, blame Aziz. Yeah, blame me. me. I'll, <laughs> take I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> blame me for everything. I wasn't there. <laughs> 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 you would have said it straight. That's why. <laughs> the guy the, the, the guy who should have maybe done more work on his sword is that Veil Knight whose sword just broke into several pieces. And now, you know, you can't necessarily blame him because Brienne's sword is Uh Valyrian steel and all. And I like seeing that she just just Uh plowed right through it. That also, I think... Sort of happens in in the whispers scene. She doesn't break anyone's sword, but they all their weapons are so pathetic. She just kind of just cuts right through. You know, Pig is fighting with a broken sword, and Shagwell eventually tries yeah. to get her with a. It's rock. probably
2: because the sword was the sword was so well oiled. <laughs> that it performed so well. It was, it, was, it was acidic
1: oil that breaks other swords. <laughs> very special valyrian oil (laughs) let's move on to king's landing where we have a series of shorter scenes in related locations culminating in a close by location that's not quite king's landing but we're considering it part of the same region starting with cersei and her some men delivering a dwarf's head this is somewhat similar to some scenes we see in the books yoke boy why don't you uh, talk us through that
2: yeah, I I think this is really similar to the books. I think they, you know, pretty much nailed it as far as it goes. In the books it's what there's one more person that delivers a head, it's three, not two. Um in in the books, this is the third head, but it's actually the first you see on page. There's a mention that two more arrived and one was a child's. This is Cersei going nuts and she she just doesn't doesn't care. <laughs> she just doesn't care that child's heads are being delivered. Uh, and again, Cersei won't punish them, even though they're trying to really trick her into thinking it's Tyrion's head. She won't punish them because it will be a deterrent for um, other people bringing dwarf heads. I think she says, I'm going to stack a pile of dwarf heads a mile high or words to that effect. Yeah, to I, that I'm pretty effect. sure that's about it, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's also worth mentioning that, that this head would correlate in the books to the the head of the religious sparrow dwarf that Brienne meets that tells tells Brienne about Nimble Dick Crab. It seems to be his head because he goes up walking down the road and then we see this head with a bulbous nose and it's the same description as his nose.
1: Yeah, it's a very subtle piece of tragedy uh, you know, thrown in there.
0: Yeah, that's a little bit of tragedy that I that isn't in the show that I think would have made a lot of sense to be in. Brienne could have easily have ran into some dwarf in her travels and we could have seen her talking to him. It could have set up a little bit of the the High Sparrow stuff, as it does in the books. And then it would have been even darker when we see this dwarf's head and recognize the dwarf.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Maybe we'll see it in a deleted scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it is it is tragedy, and it also just shows how ruthless Cersei is. You know, it shows that she she just doesn't. She wants what <laughs> she wants what she wants. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter to her. There's no sense of tragedy in her in the book. So You're right. Yeah. It's a shame that they didn't kind of show it.
3: Well, but, th- you know, they haven't discussed the Valencar in the show. So, you know, the the dwarf head thing is, although in the show, it could be just simple revenge. But in the books, the dwarf head is really heavily tied into the Valencar, So That's a good point. Right.
1: So, just giving it a pass. Let's talk a little bit about Kyburn. In our show only discussion, Sean pointed out that it, to this point he hasn't seen Kyburn do anything terribly evil yet, which I had a real hard time keeping a straight face on because I guess he's technically right that from a show watcher's perspective, Kyburn is maybe a little creepy, but we haven't seen him do anything that's really terrible. Yeah,
0: he's real sympathetic in the show so far. Except
1: for, you know, Getting close to Cersei, yeah, he's yeah. not—he's not so bad. And I like—I had to think about it. I was like, "That's a really good point." Even though it probably won't last. <laughs> well, probably it won't be long. Probably before we see Kyber do some really awful stuff. Yeah, I mean, he is like master whispers. Yeah, he's the master whispers now, and he's probably going to be doing some experimenting. He wanted the dwarf head, which I, I just hope to see a huge Sir Gregor wearing this dwarf's head CGI or something to make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> Giant body, dwarf's head, that would be great. By the way, uh, Yoke Boy, there was something funny that was noticed in the background on Reddit there. This this is worth pointing out. Yeah,
2: I I was on Reddit and somebody had posted a screenshot in in Kaiban's basement setup. It's it's on the right-hand side. You You don't even see it in your peripheral vision there is a large body under a sheet. You can just make out this huge, these huge feet. So <laughs> s- someone's under there and I think I think we know who that yeah, is. Yeah,
1: I don't think there's a lot of poss- Talk about the old process of narrowing it down. You don't really have a- Okay, well, one candidate. Okay, that's who it is. I so- will say,
0: while we were talking about Sean right there, mm-hmm. there were a couple things Sean said in the last episode. I edited the audio for it, so I listened to them do it. And uh, he had some really funny comments to book readers. Um, if you don't watch... Or so on the um, episodes. He said that he wished someone would chop Jano Slint's head off in the
1: episode. <laughs> another one I had trouble keeping a straight yes. face off. I
0: was
1: like, if he had just said, you know, someone should kill Jano Slint, I would have been like, yeah. But he said, he actually said, chop his head off. And I was like,
4: yeah.
0: He, Sean, um, uh, not in the episode. Straight face.
1: Must keep straight face.
0: Not in the episode, but last night, Sean made the case that through the process of elimination, if Sansa is marrying someone. She could marry Ramsey, he thought, but more likely is that she's going to marry Tristane. He thought. That's his big theory of, of last night. He
1: And we really had to think about that because, of course, that doesn't happen. I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible to happen on the show, but really, no, it's pretty much impossible. But it's not a bad theory using that whole process of elimination thing. Like, who are the major young nobles, eligible bachelor nobles out there? And he's right. There's not many. Not many. And, and you know, uh, Tristane is sort of is betrothed but they haven't you know gotten married they certainly haven't consummated the marriage I wouldn't think they're too young for that oh. so and he brought up the point about how you know Dorne might not want to be involved in this marriage anymore but we'll yeah, we'll, I just we'll, we'll, I
0: just thought that would amuse some people. Yeah, where, where Sean sometimes he's so right on, and sometimes he's so far off.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. The sh- uh, but it really show it really shows the show watcher only's perspective can raise some things that we totally missed and didn't consider. And the Kyburn's the, the perspective on Kyburn was a huge one. Like there's a huge disconnect in my perspective of Kyburn and all of our perspectives mm. on Kyburn versus someone that's only watched the show, and it's really different. Yeah. And uh, it's a good thing to keep in mind. So so that's a good good uh, good advertisement for Wire. Our show-only reviews are full of entertainment, even for people who have read the books and are more interested in, in the book stuff. It's it's a it's a the unsullied perspective on the show is really really brings up some really interesting tidbits and and, and funny uh, stuff and funny stuff yeah. too. Yeah, <laughs> it sometimes tests my uh, my ability to keep a straight face when when Sean breaks these things out during the show that we didn't talk about ahead of time. So anyway, moving on to the next scene at King's Landing, we have. Speaking of Dorne, nice. we have this viper necklace that appears. It's this thingamabob. cool thingamabob. thingamabob. Viper Puzzles. necklace thingamabob. Right. Yes, that's its official title. Yes. It's, that's what the Tairashi merchants who fashioned it, yeah. referred
0: to it as. A and so this is the finest thingamabob <laughs> in the
3: land.
1: <laughs> now, Lady Gwen you have some thoughts on why? What? Did Cersei already know what was... <laughs> she
3: put it back together? She...
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think Kyber oh, right. with that. <laughs> <laughs> that's why he's Master like, of like, Your <laughs>
3: reward for helping me put that puzzle back... Um, so apparently she, it was opened and then she got it all back together so that she could redo it for the full effect for Jamie. Um, and of course, you know, it is quite an effect. And then that red viper says to the book readers right away who sent it, that it's, you know, probably a sand snakes or maybe, you know, Elaria, which wouldn't maybe occur to the book readers right away before they've yeah, seen that. That's true. The scene in Dorne that we'll talk about. Um, they pe- the Unsullied may not get that distinction and neither does Cersei. She just thinks mm-hmm. Dorne. Dorne is a pull. They're, they're all, all the same, same and they're threatening <laughs> our, our daughter.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And she threatens them all equally. I will burn all their cities to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so this introduces us to the concept of Jamie going to Dorne. So we fully we're fully committed to this now, instead of the book plot of him going to the Riverlands. Mm-hmm. And what, Lady Gwen, yeah. You had some more thoughts on on Jamie's acting uh, in yeah. this scene as well.
3: He's got this kind of concerned look on his face while Cersei is ranting about burning their cities and she keeps saying very loudly our daughter our daughter and she's calling Marjorie a smirking whore and she's just and loudly like and there's open doors on either side of them um I mean we know Varys she,
1: isn't there anymore but still you got to keep it down could be, I mean <laughs> you
3: just have to you know with that He said, he's, you know, if I call her our daughter, they'll, you know, they'll be whipped through the streets or something to that effect. And she doesn't care. She just keeps ranting. And he just, you know, I got the impression from his face, facial expression that he's thinking she's unraveling. And (laughs) definitely it seemed to me she was unraveling. He looked a little worried and then, then he yeah. immediately makes himself scarce yeah. <laughs> yes he does go to Dorn. <laughs> his, he's okay. got that kind
1: of glassy look in his eyes like he's concerned but also he's probably like happy to get out of there like you he said he's right. like well good thing i have this job to go do, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I
3: do. i've got to go do something
0: <laughs> this
1: relationship okay. of ours is really falling apart <laughs> you know, it's a big
3: difference right. between
0: cersei being so careful to not say a word to lancel in the previous episode and here she's just Gal is just being loud, and, and uh, mm-hmm. they're not in quite as public of a place, but I, I feel like she should be more careful.
1: It's it's very similar. It touches on something that Ruth Bolton says about Ramsay, because Ramsay and Cersei have some things in common, which is that they're not idiots. They're actually both intelligent. Uh, some of you are startled to hear me say that, probably. But But they're both overwhelmed by... These crazy emotions. They, no one that's intelligent behaves intelligently when they're overwhelmed with emotions and your emotions are what's, what's causing you to act. If you, when Cersei stops to think, when Ramsay stops to think, they both are smart, but they just rarely stop to think. It's, it's, a, it's, they're, it's effective for them when they do it, but they just rarely do it. They mostly mm-hmm. just react and rage right. and throw things and try to break down the obstacles and smash things that they don't like. And that doesn't usually work in the long run. We'll have to see how that works. Now, another important thing to remember, though, from Cersei's perspective... For all we know, there's something in Ramsay's background, too, like this. No, probably not. There's probably no, uh, you know...
0: Ramsay doesn't have a, the best background, period. That's right?
1: true. But there's probably no, you know, Johnny the Toad. <laughs> like Johnny Maggie the Frog <laughs> in, his uh, back, <laughs> in his background. <laughs> so, Maggie the Frog... So everything Cersei is, is... Just keep in mind that even though she's paranoid and kind of crazy here, it's not without some good reason. She's seeing the Maggie the Frog prophecy come true right in front of her. She's already her first child is dead and now her second child is threatened and in very big danger. So she just kind of sees it happening. She's just, she's got pretty good reason to believe that her daughter is in danger. I mean, she's not wrong. It's, it's, that's that old quote from, what is that, a Nirvana song? Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not after you. (laughs) <laughs> Cersei's not <laughs> wrong <laughs> she, she maybe is going about it the wrong way but she's not wrong about the intentions of the Dornish at least some of them uh-huh. at least some she's, of them she's only wrong yeah. at, at lumping them all together lucky for her at mm-hmm. least in the short term Doran Martell doesn't want to kill children
4: okay. right
1: so let's move on to the small council scene this is we get a little more of Kyburn. She talks about Kyburn's loyalty and how that is important. And in the books, Kyburn does kind of stick with her. He does stay loyal to her even when she's imprisoned by the faith. So that's that's kinda of true. Kyburn okay. is kinda of loyal to her. Mm. But well. as we've seen, but as Kevin points out, it's a lot more than loyalty is what's needed on the small council, especially not loyalty just to Cersei. So Yoke Boy, you have some good thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, well I I was in in the books, uh, Kevin does go go to Castle Rock as he does in the show, and I, I, I get the impression he doesn't know about Twincest. What do you guys think? Do you think in the show he's figured out the Twincest? I'm I'm really not sure because he wouldn't have said it
1: out in front of everybody like that. Even if he did know, if we if we were to ever get a Cersei alone with with him scene, then maybe that would come out, but. I have a feeling that he doesn't know either, even though he definitely knew in the books. He definitely knew in the books.
2: Yeah, he definitely did. And and, and he does go. And I I just wanted to compare the the small council that she's now got on uh, her hands in the show with the books. They both seem inadequate, don't they? Yes. Um, but I think in the books it's worse. Master of Ships is Orane Waters, huh. who is basically turned cloak because he he rode for he was a sail sail for Stannis. You've got Giles Rosby, Master of Coin. Harris Swift is the Hand, and Autumn Merriweather is uh, Master of Laws. So it was. Uh, I think this is the council. Littlefinger might have referred to when he said the council of the dumb, the deaf, and the blind. <laughs> <laughs> And it comes back to this conservation of actor's lore that Lady Quinn has made up Uh again with um, one character kind of embodying a lot of facets of these dynamics all, um, all in one.
0: Yeah, Mace Tyrell is all of their incompetence.
3: All, all oh, right. incompetence I'll roll
0: in Mace Tyrell is <laughs>
1: master of ships. Just really blows my mind. I mean, Highgarden does have a river going near it, but I mean, the, Ty- the Tyrells have never had a strength at sea other than through their vassals. So that just right there shows you <laughs> that Cersei is just not putting people in place because of their qualifications. <laughs> So one thing we don't see so like we see that the small council is quite possibly going to implode on her it's these aren't exactly people she can count on and things aren't probably aren't going to get any easier for Cersei she doesn't have people she can rely on she has people that will tell her she's doing a good job and will suck up to her but uh when they're if it comes down to having to perform i think we might see some problems there what are some now we we also don't see any evidence or even talk of cutting gregor's head off and sending it to dorn what what did you think yoke boy no in, in the
2: books that that is that does come up um i think orain w- w- waters is the first person to actually say it she's just ordered Kyburn in the adjoining scene you know to do a task and we don't know what it is then we learn that gregor has actually been beheaded so slight slight differences and you know it's not nothing major really. Yeah, yeah
0: I think that um I could see later on Doran and like maybe Jamie actually interacts with Dorian or someone in Dorne and they say, "Hey, send us Gregor's head." He says, "Well, Gregor's dead, the mountain's dead." And they say, "Oh, well send us proof and then they have to send Gregor's head later. I could see I could still see them having that pretty easily. It would yeah, make sense for them true. to request it.
2: That is true. Maybe it, with with the with the dwarfs head a, a, a arriving, I think that you know it, it really makes sense if they go the same route on this one.
1: And I think I think they will. It could be something that Doran uh, calls for to help, maybe to help appease yeah. the angry populace, yeah, exactly. or the uh, you know, or at least just the sand snakes and in, in Ilaria. Yeah. So let's move on a little farther. Here we have one thing that we. We'll need to see, or we're going to start looking for signs of. Yoke Boy, you, you talked about some signs of things starting to maybe go downhill for Cersei?
2: Yeah, it's. she. Well, you, you discussed it. She, she is getting paranoid, and this is kind of leading into the Walk of Shame, isn't it? It's a kind of build up. And as she starts to kind of suffer internally, she outwardly does crazier things. I think they're going there in the show. So th- this will now be a kind of build-up to this kind of defining moment that we'll get later in the season.
1: Yeah, and of course, we still have a little ways to go there. Of course, the the old High Septon is still in place. We haven't had the High Septon die yet. He's got to get replaced with the, the new High Sparrow, who was a commoner and a zealot. And we have to see him rise, and we have to see the faith get a little more powerful. So at the Walk of Shame, it, it was... Pointed out that it would happen. There were lots of talk about it in the media, so it wasn't exactly a yeah. secret.
0: Did Cersei sh- did Cersei get her head shaved or anything?
1: Uh, that part I don't recall.
0: Because I, I'm I'm positive Lena Headey would be down to do that. But she's but already but wearing. A wig. I haven't seen her picture, and she already has real short hair, yeah. and she likes doing stuff like that. But I haven't seen any pictures of her with shorter hair.
1: Well, she's also she's hair. also pregnant in real life, so oh, that yeah. has kept her out of the media.
0: Oh, that's that's true. Uh, we'll see. I, I'm hoping that uh, at the very least that they have her with a short hair, if not bald. But
1: what's very interesting bald, about her being pregnant in real life is it's quite likely also the child of Pedro Pascal. Huh. Which, in Game of Thrones terms, is very scandalous. We have a Lannister. Did you and just... C- is itself. that
0: something you heard, really?
1: Well, the timing of her pregnancy is, oh. was was, was okay. during the filming of season four. Oh. And we all know that they certainly were in a relationship during that. Okay. So it's definitely not a certain thing. I don't want to be, oh, all, okay. I don't want to be all gossipy. I not hear anything
0: about that. But it's it's...
1: <laughs> Sure to hear quite first? likely, and she has been really she's been hiding from the media oh, during uh-huh. this time because I think that that's what the people the rumors would be, even oh. if it's not true. So I don't want to be a rumor monger, oh, but yeah. that it, it seems very likely that that's the case. So how about that, a, L- a Lannister uh, <laughs> <laughs> Lannister Martell child oh, in the real world? <laughs>
0: yeah, she's been fucking Baron Trent and Oberyn Martell. For all. <laughs> but, uh...
1: <laughs> yeah, it's probably not Moon Boy's child. <laughs> So we move over to Stokeworth, which is a really yeah. nice-looking scene, huh? I was
0: real glad to see Stokeworth. I love any time they show us more castles. Just I love the scenery and a nice, beautiful seaside castle. Uh, it was just a lovely walk on the beach for Braun and Lollys.
1: <laughs> Ron and Lollys, But there were some
0: big differences, though.
1: <laughs> where he casually discusses how he's probably going to kill her sister. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, let's have a nice walk on the beach while I talk about murder. Hmm. Uh-huh. So, uh, Lady Gwynne, you had some thoughts on this speech of bronze and yeah. where things are going
3: well you know it definitely sets something bad up and this going <laughs> to happen to felice um uh it's not at all you know subtle but um i'm not sure where the how we'll um follow through with that because right at the end of that scene um you know Bron finds out he's going to go to dorn <clears throat> and that lawless is going to marry Willis Bracken, um, and that he's going to get, um, when they come back from Dorne, Jamie promises him, you know, a much, much better girl. So why would he care about Felice? And not sure. Yeah. I had some thoughts on that. Um,
0: one, Bronn could be going to die. He could be dying in Dorne. It would be irrelevant then. Um, two, he could go to Dorne, succeed in his quest, come back, either Jamie rewards him by giving him a better wife or... Jamie is unable to reward him something and Braun continues with Lollies, like in the book. Uh, that would still be possible there's plenty of time for him to come back i'm not sure if lollies is going to marry this willis bracken immediately or not though
1: so. mm-hmm. yoko you had some thoughts on bronn being in danger as well you alluded to it earlier in this episode yeah
2: i think i just think the rumors that you hear just make you paranoid after a while but <laughs> <I>, i'm worried <laughs> yeah, everyone seems to be in danger <laughs> <laughs> yes but no I, I i am a bit concerned for bronn it it, there's a classic kind of trope from kind of cop dramas this last last mission where you know a cop is on his final mission ready for retirement (laughs) and (laughs) then you know he never gets that retirement check it it just had the air of, Mm -hmm. of that about it i don't know if you guys felt that too yeah
3: especially with that promise of a much better girl in castle it's yes like, you know the, the retirement home by the sea and then uh, oops <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah
1: there could be a bit of a hidden joke here um it's it's very subtle i think that we have uh lollys maybe heading off never to be seen again as well like bron it's like her plot line is just being thrown cast aside and because of bron's going to the Dorn in the show mm-hmm. instead of well, he wouldn't. wasn't going to the Riverlands either. But Jamie was going to the Riverlands. And I think it's kind of funny that Lawless just happens to be marrying a Riverlands knight. So it's like she's going the way of the Riverlands plot. She's joining Willis Bracken yeah, right. and all these other people who were just <laughs> right. set, pushed aside yeah, here. So... Yeah. <laughs> we're we're getting less. We're getting no Riverlands in, in exchange ben, for Dorne, yeah. which yeah. I don't mind that too much on the surface because Dorne is a more interesting and exotic location than the Riverlands. Riverlands is is very interesting. We of course have did a three part episode on it ourselves uh, several oh. years ago, but I like Dorne more. Yeah. <laughs> Dorne yeah. is cooler.
0: It's hard. I, I think that the Riverlands just fits so much better in my eyes with, Jamie, with Jamie's personal quest than then what maybe Dorne will will stand out in some different ways there's ways for him to have redemption with Marcella and to fail with Marcella as well, so I really have to see how the rest of the, the season goes to really judge Jamie's plotline. Um, yeah, I am curious though if Jamie or Braun are going to represent, have a stand-in, have some things in, in common with Aris Oakheart, who is you know killed.
1: More, uh, yeah, more worry for Bron's death. But also <laughs>
0: Balon Swan. Um, uh, we're moving into the door and stuff now, so we can kind of segue, I suppose. Yeah, it's a good spot. Uh, Balon Swan is one of the is kind of party to some of doran 's speech He's, he ta- he talks a little bit about the water gardens to Baylon and then he goes and he talks to the sand snakes and Ariane about the water gardens and he gives that great that great speech where he talks about how Oberon was ever the viper and <laughs> stuff like that and I really want to have both of those speeches I want to have them both, and so i 'm kind of curious we haven 't the water gardens have no children playing we have not seen we 've just seen Tristane... And Marcella walking the gardens. There's no pools of children. So I'm. We concerned. might see that
1: later, but yeah, not yet. Concerned. That, that would be a big change if, if, there's, yeah. if that's not there.
0: Right.
1: A little more about Braun and what you said about Aris O'Cart. Like you mm-hmm. said, he dies in Braun and. and uh, dies in Braun. <laughs> dies in Dorne, and that could be the, the parallel. And I think if anyone is capable of killing brawn it would be ario hota who we were they're introducing as he should be introduced as very fearsome he of course is different in his in his look of course he's a probably a i don't know if he's a summer islander in the show but he's a norvashi instead of a huge long bearded white guy from norvos he's a huge bald guy from from, probably from the summer islands no hair with no yeah (laughs) he's he's not uh in in both cases, he is an extremely fearsome and confident fighter, it looks like. And I would think that since Braun has been shown to be an extremely competent fighter, having Arya Hota kill him would really show the viewers that this is a serious, serious badass that we're dealing <laughs> with. So, well. I fear that that's exactly what will happen. <laughs> Especially because we see Aryo Hota in one of the trailers, we see Aryo Hota kind of leading Jaime into some audience chamber or something. Yeah, something we, with we, a very high see, ceiling. We
0: don't see Braun in that shot. We don't see Bron in that shot. leading Jaime, who's dressed in the clothing, and then you have to think that if he killed Bron, maybe Jaime would, uh, wouldn't be treated so well. Uh, so,
1: yeah, I'm thinking that this rescue mission isn't going to... If it works, it won't be... Th- through the standard means, they expect it to work. It's not going to be some commando get in, get out thing because yeah. Jamie's almost yeah. certainly going to get captured.
0: Yeah, and so I, I'm thinking he'll have a good, some good, a good conversation with Joran. Yeah, I hope I so.
1: That, it might, maybe we'll replace his great conversation with the Blackfish, where oh. which is. You know, that's the best we can do. He's clearly not going to have that conversation okay. with the Blackfish, at least not this season. Uh, I'd have to... And But if we got a great conversation between him and Doran Martell, that would that would be cool. That would make up for yeah. it. At least it could... It has the potential to, anyway, because those are great characters that are, you know, and, and the show has shown that it's capable of, of writing good dialogue that doesn't appear in the book. So uh, they've also, you know, made some mistakes. But, you know, overall... Uh. Dialogue has been very good, at least so far this season.
0: Yeah, so we see here in Dorne, we see the Water Gardens. Um, I'm not sure. Sh- I guess I'm not sure if we're going to see Sunspear. I really hope um, that uh, Sunspear would look really cool. I'd love to see the Spear Tower, you know, and and the, yeah. the, the their their seats. But in the in the opener in the credits, it just says Dorne. just Dorne. It doesn't have <laughs> the Water Gardens and then Sunspear. It's just Dorne, which. Uh, I guess is because we're seeing just random locations in Dorne. Um, I, I
1: suppose or it's they're just not... a
0: weird thing. It really bothers me, actually. Yeah, like they did that. it's
1: weird and awkward, but maybe it's not going to be a big deal. I guess we'll just have to yeah, see. Um... And in general, there's just a lot of new characters and, and new locations, or just one location so far, and that is all kind gives us all kinds of opportunity to discuss some of these changes. We can compare the, the these new first time or barely or maybe scant first time second time appearances and compare them to their book versions. I've already gone through Arya Hota. Let's go with the next big one, Doran Martell himself. Yeah. Yes. So we...
0: Alexander Siddig is great. He's He's been a fan favorite to play Doran. He's been fan cast uh, for a long time, and he's really great. Um, I noticed that uh, they gave him some puffy, heavy eyes, which is a nice little touch. They made him look a little sleepless, and, and uh, it was just a little minor touch. But other than that, he... Has his wheelchair, but he does not look very sick. He looks pretty healthy. Um, mm. We'll see if maybe we see more of, of his problems.
1: He has more authority in his voice than I would have okay. pictured from the book. He seems like he would have, like, be a little horse, and maybe he'd have mm. he's uh, trouble raising his voice, but that's just my own imagination of how he's presented. I'm not, mm. I don't recall specifically George referring to how weak or strong his voice is. Mm. Yeah. What,
0: did, what, did, what did you uh, two think about um, Siddig as Doran? Either of you?
3: Um, oh I lo- I thought it was very good. Um uh I have to say that in the early um early pictures I saw of him, I didn't recognize him. Uh, <laughs> wow. I did not see the pictures and say there's Doctor Bashir. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, he's been in so many great roles. But yeah. he's been in many great roles, but that's the one I remember him the most from. Years he's, ago. yeah, he's
1: probably one of the most decorated actors that's that's been cast besides, you know, some of the maybe Sean Bean is one of the few Charles Dance. Charles Dance, yeah, that's yeah. another good one. Yeah.
3: yeah. Santa like, Ricks pretty big too. But they, you know, it, I you know, I think he was I think he's good, but I agree that he doesn't look as sort of um, shapeless. You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> sort of yeah, I just pictured Doran sort of, you know, in his chair kind of um and like you said with the voice kind of a weak, you know whispery he, he
1: he's much stronger in his upper body than you might think like in the in the show he's not slumpy or anything he still has this he projects a lot of strength
0: yeah um, specifically mm-hmm. in the books he's described as though he was but two and fifty doran martel seemed much older his body was soft and shapeless beneath his linen robes and his legs were hard to look upon the gout had swollen and reddened his joints grotesquely his left knee was an apple. His right a melon, and his toes had turned to dark red grapes, so ripe it seemed as though a touch would burst them. Uh, yeah, it was gross looking. I'm kind of <laughs> glad that we don't have to see that. Yeah, I we suppose, don't need it. Really,
1: we already um, get enough like slit throats and yeah, stuff on the show. Don't, we don't need like, to see swollen <laughs> joints disgusting <everywhere>. toes. <laughs> yeah,
0: not necessary. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, interestingly, you said that he's 52 in the books. The Alexander Sadiq in real life is 49, so that's kind of close yeah. by there. And um, also, just for fun, Alexander Sadiq has a son named Django. <laughs> just thought I'd throw that out there. <laughs> um, so, um, the uh, other big... another character uh, that is starts off in the show in season four as very similar to her book.
0: Also a very fan very favorite similar. for fan cast. People in often Obama, cast yes. her as Ilaria. As Indira Varma.
1: So she, but so in season four, she's very similar, like almost dead on to her book character. But starting now, she is—it's a total reversal. She's very different. She seems to be kind of a. She's dressed in mourning, character. which is that makes sense.
0: Shoulder pads. Yeah, the weird Looks like a witch. No. <laughs> she, creeps, she creeps me out with her her clothes. I, I kind really of does.
1: I kind of think she's the one that sent the puzzle box. Yeah, the, 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 she's the most likely. Now. This is so you guys have some thoughts on Ilaria. Shea, go ahead yeah, with your yeah. thoughts on this um, new Ilaria.
0: I, I, for one, um, there's long been complaints about the change to Catelyn's character in terms of her wanting peace and not wanting revenge and counseling against it, and the change to her in the show where she was actually you know, saying we need to get revenge, and a lot of people didn't like it, I was one of those people, I I, I liked seeing uh, Catelyn being sensible, I think that that is a sensible thing to say. And here we have Alaria was counseling peace um, in a beautiful speech in the books, um, where she says she doesn't want all of her daughters dying, they're just gonna die
3: one after another. And
1: she here, points out the Tywin's dead yeah, and the Joffrey's yeah. dead. What's it's like, the
3: look,
0: Gregor
1: is yeah, right. screaming.
3: Yeah. she even points out the futility of
0: yeah. revenge. So, and so that's changed. She's in in this. She is outright saying that she wants to send Marcella finger by finger to Cersei, which, okay, maybe she wants revenge, but I, the, the change to her wanting to actually, actually torture Marcella is a huge change. If it was just revenge, I would feel slightly differently. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah. So Lady so, Gwen, you had some thoughts as well on, on the situation Solaria, with yeah. Ilaria and Ariane, the lack of Ariane mm-hmm. and other things. <laughs> um
3: so I agree, Ash, I don't like the um don't really appreciate the change to the character of Ilaria, because I really liked her in the books. Um but I think here we have that law of conservation of actors in full force. Um Elaria is fulfilling a number of different roles here. Um firstly um the first thing I thought of was she's Obara, the angry sand snake. Yeah.
0: Um, right she's... with the first introduction of Obara. even. Right.
3: She's she's the one who's, you know, really calling for revenge and vengeance. Um, and, and in fact, I think you know, that Alaria's um, speech is directed, at least in large part, to Obara in her call mm-hmm. for vengeance. Um, and then, of course, um, Ariane, who is... Um, not here she's her the whole castigating Doran for sitting and doing nothing is very much um, taken right from Marianne's speech and I think that the you know threats to send Marcella piece by piece um, is a little bit of Dark Star you know this violence Yeah.
2: yeah advocating violence she's filling that so so there's three roles as well as a self that she's filling. She's yeah. Dark Ilarian Barastar. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes.
4: laughs> <laughs> right
2: is she of the night <laughs> is she of well the she night? was wearing all black right. so yeah yeah, it, it, yeah that's
0: true she was wearing all black i want her to say i'm wearing all black because i'm of the night but, uh,
1: oh if you know.
3: she says i'm of the night <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah if she says that we're like oh i'm gonna but, z- uh, i will definitely do yeah, some smhing there
0: it does make some sense to me that we when we first see obara and we see the door and we see obara coming in to, to speak with doran um and I could see how they would think it was odd to start with Obara, this new character coming to see Doran and Arya, two new characters. They want to have Alaria there. And so maybe that's part of why they had her advocating revenge. But I think that it would have been very easy to also have Obara and Alaria there. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll see exactly um, <clears throat> what Nymeria, Tyene, and Obara's thoughts are. So far, my impression of them is that they're very similar. To right.
3: Each. They're all, yes. all
0: all with Alaria. It seems like the, all four of them are very similar, mm-hmm. and that bums me out a lot.
3: It does because they're really so, like differentiated in the books. Very yes. Very yeah.
1: So there's a few other characters that we should take note of. We haven't seen the Sand Snakes yet, other than through trailers and, and yeah. media stuff. But we'll so we'll discuss them when they make their actual screen appearance and and, and levy our judgments on them <laughs> in all ways possible. Okay. <laughs> but we do see. Two other characters who are new. One is new, and the other is sort of new. The Tristane hasn't been seen yet, and we didn't get a great look at him.
0: Now, Tristane is a all new character. You, you can't exactly compare him to Tristane in the books. They're so much younger. It's, yeah. it's just we, we're you know it seems like yeah. He will have some a different part to play. I, I'm not sure if he's going to be duplicitous towards Marcella or if he truly cares about her.
1: Yeah, uh, that's a really interesting thing. Now, here's something that neither of us caught in, when oh, watching yeah. it. That Lady Gwen, you caught, and it, it's it. Sometimes it shows. It pays to have the closed captioning on, <laughs> right? And here's why, here's Lady why. Gwen, tell us what's up with that.
3: Uh, in that very first scene, you have uh, Laria looking down at Tristane and Marcella, and they're talking, and you can hear like little a word here and a word there and you hear Tristane say my future queen and mm. I rewound it I listened to it again and I was, I was sure of it and then when we were talking about it yesterday <sighs> we watched again with the closed captioning on and sure enough it's right there Tristane says my future queen so so
1: and this is a good time to point out to remind people that from the show's perspective in the first episode of the season, we've just had Cersei has just had this dream sequence with or the memory sequence with Maggie the Frog. She's just been told that all three of her children were, will have golden crowns. So this, to a show from a show perspective, this is falling right along with that. It's like this is here. We're we're talking about Marcella getting crowned, and how that probably won't end okay. well for her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, Lady Gwen, you yeah. have more more thoughts yeah, on that?
3: Yeah, and so from the books' perspective. Um... We know that of course it's Ariane who plots to crown Marcella. Um so without her now, um it appears that Tristane is going to be sort of fulfilling half of the Ariane role, with Alaria, you know, taking some of that on. Um
1: Shall we say, Tristarian? Trist-
3: Tristarian is yes. yes. I'm on fire with these nicknames.
1: today. <laughs> <You are. laughs>
3: He's maybe the plotting and perhaps the seductive half of Harian. Who knows?
0: That's right. Yeah. So
1: we and we don't have we don't have any of a, any a of uh, we don't we we don't have the same actress playing Marcella. That's oh, why yes. I said she's sort of new because yeah. we've mm. we've seen Marcella okay. before, but we saw a different actor, so we get a good look at the new Marcella. Yeah, who is. <clears throat> really, pretty well cast. I, I was Looks sad to just see. just like young
0: Cersei. Yeah,
1: and that's true. And mm-hmm. both
0: of their names are Nell, which I love <laughs> pointing out. I just think that's such a funny coincidence. <laughs> it's not a very common name. That's tr- no, uh, it's not. <laughs> uh, but uh, there is one little thing missing here. Uh, very minor, but a little <laughs> Maester Calliot I I liked him. He's like mm-hmm. a five foot tall Maester, bald as an egg. As they describe him. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And, and it makes sense for Doran to have his Maester there as well because he's so sick. That would have maybe hammered home how sick he was if. He he had a maester there, like, helping to take care of him. It's true. Right. And I'm glad you brought
1: that up, actually, because even in the books, unlike pretty much every ruler we see, when it's time to talk, you know, to, to, to plot and talk intrigue, Doran doesn't have his maester present for any of that.
4: Yeah, Doran he's
1: he talks about that stuff. Keeps only, it in the, the family. Keeps it in the family, and Aryo Hotah yeah. nearby as our as our POV to hear it all. <laughs> <laughs> so that I thought that was interesting. There's most of the lords and ladies include the maester, just kind of as a matter of fact, oh, well, as a matter of policy, you always have the maester to help you yeah. with your planning. That's what they're there for. <laughs> Doran is much more cautious than that, and I think that's a very subtle thing about his character. Is he's because he's trying to do a lot of things that he doesn't want to have people find out about. So he doesn't even want to trust. Just so mm-hmm. that's an important important thing there. Yeah. Okay, do we have anything more on Dorne? Are uh, we ready to move just, on?
0: We have very little of Ario. Um, that's true. But he does suggest killing Ilario, which is you know.
1: That's a bit, a bit of a departure. Yeah, he's a bit he's,
0: different. He's, but, he's not
1: he's not such a he, he's a guy in the books. He's more of a like I'll I'm ready to fight at any time and I'm going to win. He doesn't have any like I suggest, want to fight. Yeah, yeah. He's never like a, I like. Right. He doesn't seem to be a guy who likes violence or anything like that. But he just does what he needs to do. He's a good bodyguard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not a bloodthirsty man. Yeah,
0: so we'll certainly have more, much more to say about Doran in um, our future episodes. I'm, I'm right. curious if we'll see Doran next week again, or if we'll skip a week and see them in episode four.
1: Yeah, it's, so, so as, as, as Game of Thrones is, there's always so much to cover, so they can't always just touch on every plot line uh, every episode. We've yeah. already seen, this is six locations instead of four, as we <sighs> said at the beginning of this episode, and there are still some locations that haven't been covered yet. We'll get to that a little later, yeah. But, yeah. One area that's been in both episodes so far, and we'll go to next, is the wall. There's been quite a lot of time spent there, and a lot of really fun things are happening, a lot of different things, and some things straight from the books as well. Starting off with Gilly, Shireen, and Sam.
0: Such a great scene.
1: More yep. of Shireen teaching
0: people to read. <laughs> like, I'm definitely championing Stannis now, because his heir is Shireen, who's just teaching everyone to read.
1: That's a great so. thing. The, the Shireen Literacy Project. Yes. yes. <laughs> Yeah. The, also known as the SLP We have a couple of Tidbits from history We get Ostrich Stark Which is funny And then All the humor dies When Solis comes into the room oh my And God. starts being a horrible Unloving Joyous joy, Sorry Joyless mother
3: Yeah she yeah. is She is awful I think uh, Worse than in the with books a capital A Yeah as it, wrote I wrote it. it With a capital A <laughs> Awful I just couldn't believe The way she was Talking to her daughter Ugh
0: uh, yeah, it's uh, terrible. But a little, in a little bit of a way, she was talking to us readers because she says, "You don't know what people will do. All your books, and you still don't know." <laughs> right? <This laughs> exactly
1: true. where we are. No one else yeah. knows what's going to happen exactly. in the show, with uh, spite all of our books. But that's why I hated <laughs> it so much. <laughs> so many of our books. <laughs> and I also think maybe it's a double meaning there. There might be a little bit of what will Celeste do? Uh, she's a little darker in 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 the. In the book, she's just the snooty, arrogant, you know, prim and proud mother who's maybe doesn't love her daughter enough, but isn't terribly shitty to her either. But here, she's just awful. So yeah. I think this, this at least is a little darker. And I well, wonder, she had
0: that broom full of fetuses, of that, baby that's that's true. babies, and she
1: smiled at Mance's yeah, burning. She uh, yes. was like, "Ooh, this is yeah. I'm tur- This is getting me turned <laughs> on." They're trying
2: to compensate for the lack of mustache yeah. <laughs> 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 and her florent ears. So, Matt, you or Yoko, you had some thoughts here on the grayscale talk. Yeah, the grayscale. There's something about the way they were talking. It seemed to be setting something up, didn't it? Did you mm. get the feeling it seemed to be giving us information, and there was no reason for it unless it's going to come back in the story. So, yeah. you know, we're wondering where this grayscale is going to go on the TV show. Um, she's so is uh sorry gilly is so, somewhat taking over the role of val here and remember in the books val wants to kill kill, basically wants to kill um, well, at least she should be
1: killed yeah, yeah <laughs> someone yeah. should kill her <laughs> yeah, sorry, yeah so yeah says she should be killed a little killed. Of both, yeah
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, for having grayscale. Because it's, you know, thought to be contagious. And it's just different cultures' ways of dealing with a kind of potential epidemic, really. It's not because Val is inherently evil. It's just their their culture's way of dealing with this problem. Um, but, but in the show, where's it leading? Are we going to go to the Sorrows with Tyrion? Are we going to see the grayscale spread. I just wondered why we're getting this information. I agree that, that it's a little curious because they spent,
1: you know, like I said earlier, the time is precious. Every line of dialogue, every moment they have is precious. Some, occasionally they seem to waste time, but usually they don't. And yeah, I, I agree with you. Something is coming. I don't know what it is. It's, we don't really have a lot to compare it to in the books. It, we get the sense that grayscale is going to be a thing with John Connington coming over. Maybe he's like a, a patient zero type thing. And we have...
0: Sarah's death via grayscale, which is right,
1: Illyrio's former wife and who might be the mother of Phagon, Aegon, we don't know. There's all these possibilities, but and George even alluded to how disease would become was gonna be a theme of the Book of Dance with Dragons, and we saw that with the 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 bloody flux in Marine and Grayscale and we'll see where this goes i think maybe the showrunners have maybe have some inside information on something that might be coming later in the books of course they have a lot of inside information on what's coming later in the books and they may be deciding to go along with roughly with george's plan on that but like you said it's really hard to guess what that might be but it does seem to at least be related to events at the wall um yeah it really... could just
0: be that it's alluding to the fact that the wildlings are going to be against Cersei. You know, yeah, it could be yeah. more of a reference to the wildling mm-hmm. thoughts on grayscale than grayscale coming back.
1: That's theory. true. That's true. Um, uh, it could be a way to show the division between the cultures and to show that the, the cultural divides that exist. Because as we know, John is going to push for unification of wild assuming it goes at all like the books a unification between the wildlings and the night's watch and that's not going to go so well for a lot of people aren't going to like that uh, we can assume that just like in the books a lot of people are not going to want to go along with that plan and john maybe won't
4: mm-hmm.
1: won't handle it very well he kind of makes some mistakes in the books as far as how he tries to sell this plan to his underlings he kind of forces it on them rather uh. than selling it to them as how important it is yeah and I also think he was a little wrong on some of those things in the books. I mean, he's, he he sells the plan as, hey, look, if all these wildlings are killed, they're going to come attack us as whites. Well, you have the wall, man. What are they going to do? They can't climb that. <laughs> uh, so I don't know that it was the best argument to make. I think John is, has, isn't has is wrong altogether, but that wasn't the best selling point. So, Well, it's very interesting now. Y- you know, boy, you mentioned the, sh- the the sorrows as a possibility. I-, I considered that if that does appear, maybe that's how we'll lose Varus. I fingers crossed that we don't lose Varus, but oh. if that's part of their journey, that could be maybe what happens. Maybe Varus gets grayscale, <laughs> like like John Connington. Uh, yeah, you know. that's
3: right. With no John Connington, maybe that's how they weave that, that in. would be.
1: Right. That would
2: I hadn't. Now now we're paranoid for grayscale and for like half the cast dark. <laughs> this episode this maybe, we're, we're, we're... maybe Brienne's gonna get Grayscale. <laughs>
1: Oh. We're we're gonna this is is this are we are we doing this to you guys all you listeners out there are we really making you scared for the rest of the season We're just <laughs> like in all these like horrible suggestions like oh this is all your these favorite people are dying. all your favorite characters are gonna get maimed get grayscale and, and then die Yeah, as
0: my, as I said last episode I get burned by dragons Yeah, well, let's not forget
1: <laughs> burning <you know>? Yeah, <laughs> so there's some other great things that are going on at the north here after we we move past this scene in the library. We go to John and Stannis, and we are presented with something that a lot of us didn't expect to see yes. in the show but we get it and that is of course Leanna Mormont's letter yeah Ashay, you're already yes. you can, we can see how excited yes. you are when you yeah. tell us about this I was definitely
0: <laughs> real excited especially because we actually get to see the little note with the little bear stamp on yeah, it the little... yeah I, lo- I love those little <laughs> tiny world building details that you know that people had to take the time to write that out in the calligraphy and stamp mm-hmm. it and right. someone has like a little bear stamp perhaps that they took from the <laughs> I just love thinking about that sort of thing
1: yeah and you know that 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 little image from that screenshot from the show of, of that letter is uh, been appearing all over social media with people changing the text and uh-huh. people floating it and doing all these sorts of things. Yeah, it just it immediately became like seen that. an icon. Yeah, I've, I haven't
0: been online last few days. No. We had an internet outage and everything.
1: And, yeah, that's true. Uh, the storm but got, but got. I'll have to too. look
0: for some memes about that.
1: So, Yoke Boy, you had some thoughts on where this is going with. The fact that when Stannis points, Stannis realizes, he John points out to Stannis that, hey, the wildlings aren't going to follow you no matter what you do. You burn their leader. He could say probably they wouldn't have been very likely to follow you even if you hadn't burned their leader. <laughs> but Stannis kind of says, yeah, I, I know. He kind of gets it. He, he understands that they're like the Northmen in a sense. These are all kind of loyal to their people, folks. And they're not just going to follow some southern king just because... He burned their leader because he's a great warrior yeah. because he conquered them. So, boy you had some thoughts on where that's headed, and compared to the books, with one of our
2: favorite characters, Torment. Torment, yeah. Well, in the TV show, uh, Stannis asks John, you know, who who they're going to follow, basically, and John replies, "Only one of their own." That's the dialogue. So, just by process of elimination we don't really know <laughs> many wildlings Torment has to be you know on the tv show he must be number one candidate queen Gilly. now that man <laughs> <laughs> yeah. now that Mance has gone to you know take over the the king of the wildlings i, I don't know what you would call it now that they're south of the wall but it, it, let's say let's say wildling leader will be Torment, and in the in the book's you know, this is just my own thoughts, but I think that's where we're headed too. because it, it said if Mance hadn't come along, Tormund would have been the, you know, king beyond the wall. It's it's pointed out a couple of times. So if, you know, in Mance's situation at the moment, he doesn't even have to be dead. He just has to people have to think he's dead and there'll be a wildling election. And again I would put my chips on Tormund. I, I don't think it's for nothing we're told he's number two. He he and he's actually treating he's actually treating at the moment as if he is you know, he, he is dealing with John and stuff at the end of Dance with Dragons as if he was their leader anyway. Sorry, go.
0: Oh I just I had a thought too, um, you know, if Tormund does become king or anything like that, I wonder if they'll have any any um Consolidation of the Fenn plot line from the books, mm-hmm. and if Tormund will maybe make a marriage, he doesn't oh. have a, doesn't have a woman. There's n- there's not really any eligible Northern mm-hmm. women that we've seen. There's so far we have you know we have no Alice Karstark, but that could happen. Melisandre mm-hmm. could see it in her flames. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of doubtful, but maybe he'll get married.
1: That's what it's going to be. Sansa's not going to marry Ramsay; <laughs> she's going to marry Tormund. Oh. They both have red hair. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Norman
2: Sansa's bane. Hmm. So he goes from a bear to to Sansa a I lot. Like, I like oh, it's Sa- Sansa
0: Giant's bane. You know? yeah,
2: Sansa Giant's bane. Oh,
0: <laughs> giant graphics. in a castle made of
1: snow. Oh, that's
2: yes. perfect.
1: Oh. <laughs> so, but this is a good example of the law of conservation of actors and the process of eliminations working together. We have well. Tormund is the actor that they've already got who's this wildling leader. And if they're going to follow one of their own process of elimination, all signs point to Tormund. I'm fine with that. I really like Christopher Hibju. I was hoping I'm saying (laughs) his name correctly.
0: I'm going to say no.
1: Yeah, probably not. Uh, Let's just, I'll call him KJ. Yeah, like we're on close, like we're tight buds or something. Yeah, me and KJ go way back, you (laughs) know. So, yeah. now he's, uh, he's a great actor, and he, he was great in the action scenes, and we see him in the trailers doing stuff, so I, I think this is uh, a prediction that we can pretty much call 99.9% likely. Mm. <laughs> now, we also have a, f- a few other big moments in the wall scenes here. We have the John Stark plot, which I, I mentioned earlier was kind of rushed, it was just... Zip. You just get the offer, and then scene change. Sam is talking about the benefits of it, and John just kind of cuts him off. He's like, nah, I'm not doing it. Yeah, I feel like
0: it would have been really easy for them to just cut to a different scene. Just do a different scene in between that. Give the the viewer at least a little bit of of curiosity about it. Time
1: to reflect on that. Whoa, hey, that was a big thing that just happened. Yeah. But when we talked about it with Sean in our show on review, Sean, I I said, hey, was that too quick for you? And he was like, no, not really. Because in his mind, in Sean's mind... Tor uh John was not gonna was not gonna do it. He didn't even question that for a second. He's he had already made up his mind that Sean or that <laughs> that, that John was going to stick to his vows no matter what came his way. And mm-hmm. so he wasn't surprised at all by that. I don't know if that's gonna be the experience that a lot of show watchers have. I think a lot of show watchers were probably like, Holy crap, John Stark, wow And huh? then boom, that dream is dead within moments. <laughs> yeah. But it's replaced really quickly by John Stark as Lord Commander, which is kind of a nice uh goody prize. prize. Yeah, consolation yeah. prize. So okay let's talk about the election of the Lord Commander. Well, actually, real first, I wanted to back up just for a moment. There's one thing that we lost from the books that I thought was kind of nice is John's reflection period on why he should or shouldn't be John Stark and the thing that finally changes his mind and it was kind of poignant was that ghost he, he, he ghost is is there as he's looking at Ghost, and he he notes ghost's eyes and fur and how he's red eyes and yeah. He's, he's got the white fur, and then he's silent, and it's just like a werewood, just like the old gods, and he's like, that made his decision, that yeah. he that he was already kind of leaning that way, but that just sealed it up for him, yeah. and it's see, the I old think, gods.
0: I think that, it, I think it makes sense to cut that, because I think it could come across as real silly um, mm. on the show, if he like just says, like, he, you can't see in his thoughts, so he has to say it to someone, to Sam or something, yeah. like, yeah. that'd be real weird, I can't take it, because ghost looks like a were, you know, like, <laughs> saying it, but... If they had done yeah. it like John, it goes to a weirwood. Ghost is there, and like maybe they imply it. It's just it's real hard to get across on the screen without That's him actually point. saying it to the Sam. And Ghost
1: has not been a big part of the show at all yeah. because it's just expensive CGI direwolves.
3: We did see him last episode.
0: That's
1: true. We just yeah for just a second. <laughs> You're right.
3: Sansa didn't demand make the demand about the um, heart tree at Winterfell. Oh which yeah, was a you don't have part to. Yeah, of no, the mm. of the offer in the books, you know, you have that. to cut down the heart tree. Oh yeah, and that's part of so why you're right, right. That's a big part, part of why of John
1: makes that decision. That's a good point. Yeah. I, I missed that, or I forgot that rather. Really, but it would have been easy mm-hmm. for
3: them to have him say that, and then have John looking at Ghost, yeah, recycle a picture of Ghost, and... yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm sure it's easy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, as I
1: said, John's uh, quick. The quick John Starkness is is quick. You know, turned around uh by the quick election of him as lord commander which i think was despite it being kind of quick i thought it was done well we get to see something i was waiting for which is janice lincoln <laughs> called out for his cowardice oh, really is. well done in that yep. scene it was very funny uh, sam you know in a puddle of your own making and all that was <laughs> <Yeah>. really funny <laughs> and so we have okay lady gwen you have some thoughts here on the way this election was handled and some of the thoughts about the candidates
3: Yeah, well, you know, there's definitely a departure from the candidates in the book. In the book you have Janos Slint, um, and he's running against, um, he's kind of like the newcomer, obviously, running against Cotterpike and Dennis Malister, who are the old-timers, and they hate each other because they're from Eastwatch and the Shadow Tower, and they're, you know, always in competition. One's from
1: Malister and one's from one's an ironborn yeah, yeah. right that The helps and the ironborns it, <laughs> they they obviously don't
3: get along so they have you know this whole history of just hating each other um as sam in the books manages to convince them both to withdraw and throw in with john or send their supporters over to john um which gives john a huge margin of victory it's, so that's another big difference john wins in a landslide um in the books and of course you know they're they did bring in... De- they had Dennis Malister. Um, they weren't going to introduce Cotter Pike, And I think probably after the puddle, <laughs> maybe Chano <laughs> Slint didn't seem like a good candidate. It, you know, maybe it would be believable that um, he was going to be a candidate for Lord Commander. Um, yeah. But probably the change was mainly for drama um, and to give... to set up um, Maester Aemon. yeah. Mr. Raymond was yeah. yeah,
0: real great there with his casting mm-hmm. of the final tile <laughs> stands up and
1: feels his way he gets to get the suspense because yeah. he's got to feel like wait yeah, yeah. is he, does he mean to do dude and he's like wait like, it'd be funny if he was like, like wait no I actually right. meant to put it on the... <laughs> like, <laughs> I was trying to vote for Dennis Malister but yeah
0: it makes a lot of sense for the, the vote to be much closer for drama as well like you said but also just <laughs> Alistair is just a better opponent like he's proved himself he wasn't hmm. charge at the wall it, it makes sense to change it to me
1: And he had a good speech, too. Alistair's speech. He wasn't, like... He
0: made good points.
1: Slint was just trying to be a propagandist and, and throw shade on John and Sam, where... Thorne made legitimate points like look John was cozy with the wildlings John might have only come back to us because of the way circumstances worked out sure he fought well because he said that's the first thing he says he said I won't argue with any of that he won't I won't deny that John fought well that he does these things so I thought it was really well done and I'm glad that they didn't turn him into some sort of caricature of you know just a guy who's just Mm. saying the worst things Mm. he can say and, and telling lies and all that so I really thought the scene was well done it was like you said like we've all pointed out the differences here but just because it's different doesn't mean it isn't Mm -hmm. good so in this the show and the books both did a good job in their own ways and i appreciate both both of these things so now uh, lady gwen you had some other thoughts on on the scene and some other comparisons of maybe some comparisons that people wouldn't expect
3: (laughs) um well first of all and i have to give credit this is not my thought although i loved it um a redditor who called that um Mr. Eamon casting that final tie breaking for the Dumbledore moment <laughs> of the scene. Yes. Of course, referring to Dumbledore always making sure Hogwarts won the House Cup. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but on a more serious note, I think, you know, you were talking about Alistair Thorne, and he does make, he has a good speech there. He gives John credit. Um, but I think his wildling focus, where he's, you know, sort of saying to John, you know, you you love the wildlings, you you made love to the wildlings, um, really shows that he doesn't understand who the real enemy is, um, which is similar to the books. Um, the real enemy, of course, being the White Walkers. Um, and John's probably going to face the same problem, convincing people on the show um, to look at the big picture and just forget about the fact that he's bringing wildlings south of the wall. He, there's something much worse out there.
1: One One particular thing that I'm worried about and there aren't a lot of characters that have been carried over from the books that are sp- set besides thorn and slint are set to oppose john on his quest to bring the wildlings
0: or to feel in. regret right. about doing it.
1: Right, that's true. There's not a lot there's, there aren't people that we feel sorry for except mm-hmm. young Ollie. Ollie There's has been very supportive of John. Oh, yeah, that's true.
0: I, I doubt Dollars I would do anything <laughs> like that.
1: But Ollie, yes. But Ollie, I'm very worried that Ollie will be one of those to turn on John because Ollie has as much reason to hate mm-hmm. the Wildlings as anyone. He, his, he saw his father killed by Egret, and his mother, I guess, was killed off screen also by Wildlings. So. And this is basically childhood trauma we're talking about. His, his, his parents, like, this is the story, this is the stuff of, of movies where, you know, a child, is, his ki- children, or his parents are killed by these barbarians, and he, you know, grows up and becomes, you know, right. goes to get revenge. So we're not going to see that whole arc, but we will, we could see something like that where we see, you know, this wedge driven mm-hmm. between him and John, where John is trying to bring the wild in. And this young boy, he's, he's maybe not going to have the perspective to accept such a thing. And that could set up some major right. conflict yeah. Yeah. and tragedy. And
0: I could see him feeling real bad about doing so, um, about, about being party to John's uh, beat the attack on John. Yeah,
1: assuming that's coming, which I do expect, mm-hmm. I think that would probably happen in either episode 9 or 10, just yeah. just, just as a guess. Totally Quite. don't know for sure. But yeah, it does seem like that's a reasonable way for the season to end. One of the major events at the end of season, John getting stabbed, and mm-hmm. Ollie could be one of those that stabs him. Ooh, that and would be so sad. It probably makes
3: sense, because, yeah, because there aren't that many characters that are differentiated that you could see being part of it and making sense.
1: What about, right. what do we see happening with Thorne? Shay, you, you said that you actually kind of maybe felt a little bad yeah, for Yeah,
0: I did feel a little bad for him, and, and it's, yeah, it's hard to... Say what I think. Thorn's gonna do is Thorn gonna be on the side of John's wrong? We need to depose John. We need, will, will Thorne want to kill him? I, mm. I, I don't like. Will he be sent
1: off in a mission like? Yeah, he is in the books? yeah. I sent off on a mission. I,
0: I'm not sure. I, I don't. I don't think that this mm. Thorne would be party to the like um, this kind of anarchic thing that they're doing to to overthrow him. I, that's just not the impression I get from this Thorne.
1: Yeah. So um, I like the
0: idea that he's supposed to be sent off.
1: And hopefully right. we still get Slint getting executed. Yeah. Hopefully we still get his head chopped off. And, and then
0: Sean will be like, oh.
1: I called it. Yeah, yeah. But So I'll tell you this. All right, D&D, we'll make a trade. We'll let you have Ollie and John becoming enemies and him helping to stab John if you give us Ed Fetch Me a Block.
4: Uh-huh.
1: Deal? Right. Deal. All right. Yeah. So let's move on to the final location. We'll start near... On the wait, on the road to Volantis slash Marine with Tyrion and Varus in a very short scene. It's kind of funny. It's kind of sad. It's a little similar, but only on the surface to the Illyrio-Tyrion chapters in the the books, which there's basically two of. Well, there's more than two of, but there's two where they spend this whole time on the road, which is the focus of it. And, mm-hmm. But most of the stuff that that's discussed right. in those book chapters is already kind of covered with by Varys and, and Tyrion's first meeting of bringing up Daenerys and the ruler with the right bloodlines and all that stuff. So, Lady Gwyn, you had some thoughts on Illyrio and Tyrion together and their, their screen chemistry and stuff like that.
3: Yeah, I mean, um, I love to see Varys and, and Tyrion together on the screen and some of the best um, sort of Dialogue that's brought in just for the show, made-up dialogue, if you will, um, is between those two. So, you know, they have great chemistry. um, They have good scenes together. So in spite of the divergence, I thought this was great. I would actually much rather see Tyrion and Varys verbally sparring in a box than Tyrion and Illyrio eating and drinking their way across the flatlands in a box. It's just much, much more entertaining for me, so... Um, And that's assuming, you know, this trip is replacing the trip of uh, Illyrio and Tyrion. They go by wagon up to um, meet the boat and then by boat down to Atlantis. So, you know, we are not going to see any boat trip, presumably.
1: Yeah, I, I particularly liked the speech about. Varys's speech about how they they telling Tyrion, "Hey, look, no one's ever going to follow us. They find us repulsive." (laughs) It was very much echoes of Tyrion telling Jon Snow, "Hey, look, you're a bastard. Be a bastard. Live it. Mm -hmm. Earn it. You know, wear it as your armor. Just accept who you are." This is kind of the same thing. Varys is saying, "Hey, man, this is what you are. You're, but you know, you no one's going to follow you. They find you repulsive. But you're still a man of talent. Mm -hmm. You still can make things happen. You still have the ability to shape world events." So stop drinking yourself to death. Stop feeling sorry for yourself, and snap out of it. Before mm. I, because soon I might die, and you will be without me. No.
0: No. No, oh, please no. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, that scene ends with the great segue from Tyrion asking if Cersei is going to kill them all, the dwarves. And, and it cuts right <laughs> to King's Landing. We get and the out, yeah. Which we talked about. <laughs> uh, we're almost done on time. We still have some time to move on to uh, the rest of the SO stuff. Uh, yeah, we'll we go. With- Dario and Grey Worm. And Yoke Boy, you had some thoughts on this Dario stuff. Yeah,
2: again, this conservation of actors, this t- this time for Marine. Uh, <laughs> last episode, we said that. Dario was starting to take on like facets of Brown Ben Plum. I think he had a kind of ethos to let the dragons roam free, which was very Brown Ben Plum. And um, we said that he might, Dario might take on other roles as well. And this week he did. He was really the shave pate, you know, encouraging violence and torture. And he he's kind of investigating, almost like a kind of police. And this is very much in the spirit of. Is it Skahaz Mokandak? Is that how you say it? (laughs) The shave, I'll just say the shave bait.
4: (laughs) Yeah, Skahaz
1: Mokandak
2: in this case. (laughs) (laughs) Dario Mokandak. Yes, so that's it. (laughs) I I think we'll see Dario taking on a, a few more kind of roles. And yeah, it was interesting seeing him kind of almost sparring with Grey Worm. And they're, they're still in competition. It's like, for, yeah. I think it was last season, where they were balancing a knife on their hands, was it? Or, was it overnight or something ridiculous. Yeah, something ridiculous. really ridiculous, yeah. yeah. Holding <laughs> yeah, up the I, I I think this is an extension. Yeah, it was
1: a bit silly. That was a little too far. But, this one makes more sense. But this makes more sense. This was more reasonable. This and it parallels the books a bit. We, Dario, it's not... I don't think it's Dario that points this out in the books. I think it might even be Grey Worm himself that, that points to how Unsullied or maybe not ideally suited for this. Barriston and others realize it as well. So it's a good speech. Dario points out, and he, and he brings up something that the books don't bring up. He doesn't... They talk about why the Unsullied aren't equipped to be police-type detective types. and But he does... In the books, there's no mention of this, how fear is important to understanding the mind of a criminal and understanding how normal human beings operate. Now, that was really well done, the, the, the speech. The stabbing the wall is a little cheesy, but you know it still proved the point really well and it and it was a great speech i like that point that he makes in showing that the psychology of these soldiers is not appropriate for being able to think like these skulking you know, Sons of the Harpy types. It just doesn't work. So that I was really well done.
0: Was it you I was talking to or Sean? I forget. Someone made a joke. I can't remember who, who on earth it was. Someone made a joke that it would have been so hilarious if Dario had stabbed in.
1: It's the wrong guy. Wrong, There's wrong. A neighbor.
0: Yeah, neighbor. Like, he just sit <laughs> it by a little wall.
1: Uh... Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good stab there, Dario. Yeah, you... right. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's really... I don't know how he knew to get it so perfectly. Like you think you just get him on the arm or yeah, something? Yeah, he got him in
1: the knee. It was really well done. He's like, I can't even run away. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But so let's let's move on to the, the council scene. Here we have she. Daenerys is kind of stumbling around. She's she's not really she's uncomfortable the whole time. She she doesn't seem confident. A lot of times she in the first episode she had a lot of confidence. This episode she just she seems lost. And I don't mean like the actress like Emilia Clarke isn't is lost. I mean, she's acting lost, which is how she's supposed to act, because this is a very confusing situation. She's, to be frank, she's a bit in over her head. She doesn't know how to handle this, and frankly, neither do any of her advisors. Masador gives her some decent advice because he understands the population well, but Danny and him don't necessarily see eye to eye on how things work, and I think they're both kind of wrong. They're both wrong for different reasons, so we also have Barriston bringing up the Mad King, which was interesting. I thought that was cool. And Danny, to her credit, she listens, uh, and it gives her it, it gives Barristan a bit of an in to convince her because Danny is, is very big on responsibility and owning up to things. And she, when when Barristan pre- confronts her with the possibility that she's just barely doing things like her father in a way that weren't good, it really hits home and she kind of changes her tune a little bit. But with this whole situation with Masador, Lady Gwen, you had some thoughts on that, about how the law works and how Danny was enforcing it.
3: Well, you know, I just think... She says to Masador, he's pleading his case to her, and she says to him, the law is the law, because he implies that she is now the law. It used to be the masters, and now, you know, he's saying, you're the law. And she says, no, the law is the law. And I think... You know, she's really misjudging the culture because it's probably not clear to the former slaves what that means. You know, they're, they've they not lived in a society where the rule of law is the norm. They've lived in under the masters and the master's word is the norm. So Yeah, to them
1: it's just some ideal. They've heard of it. It sounds cool, but they don't know how. They never lived with it. Yeah, they've so, you know, so
3: it. how does that... How is that put into practice? I don't think Masador understands what she means by that, nor should he be expected to
1: and you're right, Danny doesn't necessarily fully understand it either. she doesn't <laughs>
3: right I mean she's just rolled up and you know started you know she conquered and now she's trying to rule um so I think it's a misjudgment on her part, and you know i just I thought back to Stannis in the scene at the wall saying you know people um people have to fear you a little bit, and Davos waving his fingers you know justice you know um (laughs) so danny sort of misses a little bit um how this is supposed to work
0: it just was weird to me that she did that. She's all about giving this guy giving trials, and she doesn't give Masador a trial. Like, yeah, he he admitted it, but you can still give him a trial to figure out his sentence. He, you, instead of killing him, you could have chopped off his hand, his fingers. Maybe you just right. make a lifelong enemy. But I feel like there should have been some sort of public trial to try to teach these people, rather than just. Killing him in front of everyone, no trial—exactly what she said she didn't want to do. I, I... Some sort of compromise would have right. been better, probably. Yeah.
3: yeah, yeah. Now she's right back to the masters. Yeah, she's just <sighs> you know arbitrarily—well, in the eyes of the slave, she's arbitrarily mm-hmm. killing. Wow. him. So,
1: Yoke Boy, you had some some major thoughts on how this relates to the books, and even though there's a lot of differences, the essence is similar.
2: Yeah, yeah, you're right. The the essence in the books, this Miranese storyline with the political complexities is really quite vast. It takes quite a bit of studying to kind of unravel it and see the the pieces are all all interlinked. What they've done is brought in in effect, uh, captured the essence in a single episode of the kind of class struggle and the political problems and so I think they've done that very well they really had to cut cut through this thick Miranese storyline. So what, what, what they came up with, I think, does the job very well. I think that everyone, all the watchers, really understand the marine, the, the essence of it, in the same way that, that book readers do, although, of course, it is a hell of a lot more complex. One storyline I just wanted to point out that was missing was, um, just for the heck of it, it was Zaro Zohan Dax- Daxos, who was in the show... Put in a vault so I think we <laughs> can uh, assume that he didn't get out of that vault unless he had <laughs> it another it was valyrian <laughs> stone yeah, how could he possibly get out <laughs> um, <laughs> and in, in the books, Zaro comes to uh, treat with danny she really needs the trade of the car of the carthene and he offers her 13 ships so she thinks great but he, he only he says you can have the 13 <laughs> ships but you've got to go to westeros and she refuses she wants them to trade so she says no and then Kaf declares war those ships blockade the bay and the Skahazadan rivers and that means she can't trade with the Lazarene so it really stops the trade and just from this example you can see how complex the kind of Miranese arc is and why they just want to kind of cram it into one or two episodes yeah so she goes ahead with the execution of Masador despite,
1: again, she can tell from her looks on her faces and how unemphatic she is. She gives the command in, you know, like the barest nod of her head. She's really grudgingly goes through with Doesn't it. Doesn't even look. Doesn't even look. The camera isn't even on, isn't even on Dario. You just see it barely out of the corner. And this brings up what... A few people have noticed, Lady Gwyn. You can explain it to us all here. The what we we had it first pointed out to us by Azad. In, in, uh, of comics, nice and, and, and fire. And fire. I'm, I've just got to learn how to say his name properly. <laughs> in Egyptian. Um, I'm just afraid. Yeah. I'm just. I, I've said it before, and I keep. I just. am afraid to to do it wrong, so I just don't <laughs> do it at all. And I'm a man who understands having your name said wrong. My full right. name is Aziz is Al Dori. Like I've. Yeah. yeah. I understand having your name butchered. So. <laughs> yeah. So, Azad, we know who you are you're great thanks for the uh, thanks for the advice on this one uh, lady Gwen, go ahead and talk us through that
3: yeah th- this is um, a Rob Stark moment for Danny. I think this you know it's the um, you have vengeance. somebody takes vengeance that is Massador and rob Rob's case. it was Rickard Carstark um, and the leader is forced to. Um, deliver justice to this person who's taken this kind of illegal vengeance so the parallels are very strong but then you mentioned the fact that Danny, of course doesn't even look while the execution's going on um, which is not like Rob Stark um, Rob obviously is a Stark and he's wielding the sword and he is very much a part of the actual execution um so, of course, Rob's execution of Rickard Karstark had really dire consequences to his storyline. Um, had it's a, a major factor in the Red Wedding, um, ultimately mm. going down. So, and this is
2: lead- leading us up to the wedding now, isn't it? This is, this is the kind mm. of they they're the creating a kind of problem scenario for danny where she needs a solution and quickly and i I, I think the book readers know what that that supposed solution is going to be exactly
3: and i think that leading into a wedding is another part of the whole parallel so there we go
1: yeah so she's so to be clear there she's this is almost certainly the setup for her marrying his darzo who is a much more reasonable and likable character in the show so far than he is in the books He's kind of a doofus in the in the show or in He's the still books, real but suspicious. <laughs> yeah, he is a little suspicious. So, uh, so let's talk about the re- reaction, the, the the scene as far as the TV itself. Seeing the the, the way the crowd just went Creepy silent hissed. and then they start hissing, and it was like, wow! And Danny's reaction, yeah, is wow. like she's a, she's really she's dismayed and a little terrified, yeah, and mm-hmm. a little mm-hmm. guilty maybe. Uh, so, what we have is a Tetsudo escape, which is. Uh, Shields Testudo? held over, and that is a nod to perhaps to the Roman legions, who that's how they would approach uh, entrenched entrenched enemies, where they could hold all their shields over their heads and protect them against missile fires, kind of as a group, protects the whole unit. So that's kind of a nod to showing how the Unsullied are similar to the Roman legions, mm-hmm. and which is there's been a lot of comparisons there uh, along the way in the different books on the show.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, with Let's, let's go ahead and move on to the final unless, scene, yeah. unless anyone else has anything else they want to add on that. No, no let's go ahead. move into that. All right, great. So we have Drogon here. Of course, one of the things that the show can do that the books can never do is give us stunning visuals. We get two of them here, at least. We get the dragon himself which is always cool dragons on screen are always fun no matter what they're doing <laughs> and then we get this amazing shot of the dragon flying over marine at night with the pyramids and the torches and the sea and everything the bay out there and it's just fantastic so what yoke boy well, you have some thoughts on some kind of uh between the lines sort of interpretation there's some there's a little bit of a... yeah
2: i was thinking about the kind of meaning of those last scenes and what i thought is Drogon really represents freedom and escapism here in a sense we 're seeing that Danny has chained herself up in taking her off everyone else's shackles she 's now got these kind of massive children and they 're creating all these you know there's huge problems whether they're o- her own making or not and she is under the cosh but there's Drogon flying around free and she she 's watching him thinking what you know wow and i just wonder if danny's watching him thinking i wish i could fly away like him or maybe i wish i could be on the back of him so i think with that scene yes it's, it's kind of freedom and escapism and really that's setting us up very nicely for her dragon riding scene which we presume is going to come later in the series
1: yeah i would i would guess that as well and it's important to point out that Targaryens, or people in general, as far as we know in history, you only bond with one dragon. And she seems to be, that bond with Drogon seems to be starting. Meanwhile, Viserion and Rhaegal are still quite wild. Now, in the books, they are set free by the failure, the failed commando mission of, of Quentin and his friends, along with the windblown. Do we think the same thing is going to happen? Obviously, it's not going to be a Quentin. There's no wind blown. But the dragons being free, that could happen in a number of different yeah, ways.
0: Yeah, it's true. There's just, there just no characters to set it up except for Tyrion coming. Next season, like something to do with that. There's just what, no other characters have uh, around Daenerys have expressed an interest in that. I like, wonder if. Maybe, hasn't.
1: Yeah, I wondered if maybe the Sons of the Harpy might do it somehow. Maybe Dario. by accident they may go in there to try to kill the dragons and it may set them free. Mm-hmm. A Dario is a possibility. Yeah. I don't know why he would do that, but it could happen. You know. yeah.
2: I, I, like, I like the idea you just said. Sorry, I, I, like, uh, I like the idea that they, they try and kill the dragons and they mess it up. They botch it and set them free. I think that would be the most in the... Mm. kind of in the spirit of the Quentin thing, actually, you know, in a weird, <laughs> in a roundabout way. Yeah. It yeah. reminds me a
0: lot of the storming of the dragon pit
2: um, oh, nice. From impressive. history. I had yeah. thought of that, yeah. Uh-huh.
1: They, yeah except yeah. that I expect the dragons to get out this year. Yeah,
0: day. that was um, <laughs> very
1: successful. <laughs> okay, so that is all uh, we have for today. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Um, we'll run through a few, a few things here, real quick. You can always support the show through Amazon.com by going to historyofwesteros.com and clicking on the links to the, on the right side there on the sidebar. There's other links besides just Amazon. Okay. Every single link on that sidebar is a way for you to purchase something you might have wanted to purchase anyway without it costing you any additional money and helping us out just a little bit. We do get a small amount from those things. Thanks to our Patreon supporters, our Hand of the King, Lord Cash Craig, a.k.a. Vaxxis, on the History of Westeros forums. Our Warden of the North is Lord Parker, the Bastard of Starkville. Our, warden, our other borders are undefended. South, East, and West are currently open positions. Mm. Our small council is full and staffed with amazing members. We have Master of Coin, Lord Robert Jacobs. Master of Whispers, Lord James the Scholar. Grandmaster Maester Itai wears the jeweled chain of many shiny metals and jewels. Mm. Our Master of Laws is Rosie the Clever. Our Master of Ships is Lord James Tuttle. Our mm-hmm. History of, Ni- of Westeros Night's Watch Lord Commander is Lord Commander George the Golden. Mm-hmm. Our Kingsguard is commanded by Lord Commander Shepard. We are also supported by Lady Dyerliz of Castle Nauke and Lord Nathan <laughs> of the Firefort. <laughs> that one always is funny, huh? <laughs> yeah,
0: it always is every time.
1: So we have a few things to look forward to in the previews. We haven't seen we, um, we're, we're going to yeah. see Bolton's and Theon maybe. We have Sansa crying yeah. about, you know, something. Was so that
0: was, was that all that was in the preview? I didn't even I don't even remember. There's a few other in.
1: things that I didn't mention, but some of that we don't have time to go through them all. There's some things that maybe are better left unspoken at this point.
0: Yeah. We'll be able to talk about it next week. Certainly. Uh,
1: so send in your comments, criticisms, suggestions of, as as always there are so many things happening in the show, so many things happening in the book and so many things that are paralleled or not paralleled that it is impossible to catch them all. We rely on you to help us catch our mistakes and to fill in those gaps and cracks to
0: it sure is easier to catch them all when we have two great guests, yes, of course like Lady for... Gwyn and Yoke Boy.
1: That's right. Thank you guys very much for appearing on our show and we will have you all back next week and the week after and and hopefully the rest of the season. I know we won't be able to have you Brilliant. We won't be able to have you every week. Lady Gwyn, I know you're a little too busy, but I think Yoke Boy, you said you'd probably better make the rest of the season, just about every episode so
2: I'm up for it. I'm up for, I love it. I love history of Westeros. why why, why would I say no? I say yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: all right so everybody uh check out radiowestros.com <laughs> in the intervening moments or yes. in intervening days if between you're on here YouTube, and the next episode
0: if you're on youtube you'll see the link in the description as it was for the previous episode mm-hmm. it's really easy to remember though
1: mm-hmm. and of course check out our recent history of westeros episodes on topics like sept and barf and the Blackfire Rebellions, which is ongoing or our uh, even longer ongoing intermittent series on religions and magic, which includes The Knights King is our most recent installment on that. So make sure to check those out. Leave us feedback, comments, questions, and make sure to check us out on Facebook and Twitter and all those great social media outlets that we occasionally post fun and or interesting and or mm-hmm. unusual or Funny things. So, until next time, I'm Aziz. I'm Shea. And Valar Morgolis.